Oh yeah. Canceled too soon. A podcast. Podcast. About TV. Television shows. That were. That were very, very short. Canceled too soon. One season or less. Oh yeah. This week on Canceled Too Soon. The first annual Soonies. Canceled Too Soon Awards. Award shows where award shows get awards? Get my gun. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic for Crave Online and Blumhouse.com. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic as well. Thank you. That is all. Okay. I, I've won eight Pulitzer Prizes Ooh. and uh, two Nobels. And he strangely turned enough, them all down. Strangely enough, both in chemistry. Yeah, but he and, turned uh, them all down. That's why he's not on the record books. He's turn, too, too dignified. I, I would rather do this podcast for you than snoot around town with those Pulitzer winners. Those snooty snooters. With their secret handshakes and their... And their ways. Special secret societies and things they put on the backs of $1 bills. Worst orgy I've ever been to. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. It's too much shunting. This week... Is there such a thing? Is there such a thing as too much shunting? Google that. Anyway, this week on (laughs) Cancel Too Soon. uh, Image search shunting and make sure the safe search is off when you do it. Go ahead. Do it right now. Uh You won't regret anything. (laughs) (laughs) It's impossible to regret it. Anyway, this week on Cancel Too Soon, we're not going to be doing a TV series. Well, we're actually doing every TV series we've ever done. Kind of. This is the one-year anniversary of Cancel Too Soon. Happy anniversary, William. Happy anniversary. Happy uh, birthday. I, I wish I brought you a cake. As as did I. I would love a cake. Here, here here's a uh, fun size Milky Way, which oh, is which was actually much. yours. I just picked oh, it up off of the you. table. Mm, that's, that's, I'm so glad I got that for me. <laughs> um, We've been doing this for one year, which is 44 episodes, including this one. We started off bi-weekly, mm-hmm. and then we're workaholics, so that didn't last. So we just well, kept going. You're, you're a workaholic, and you kind of grabbed me by the lip and dragged me yeah. along. So, uh, yeah. So that makes you a workaholic, too? Yeah, thank sure. you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're not fighting it too hard. No, I, I can't. I don't have the energy to fight anymore. <laughs> um, the show has evolved and changed mm-hmm. and built an audience. We uh, just recently found out... Uh, you know the numbers change daily, but we cracked like the top 200 film and TV podcasts we, uh, on we, iTunes. Recently. We beat Kevin Pollock. Yeah, the Kevin Pollock cat, chat show, something I've listened to before. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. That was really really cool. So, we'll probably below him now or whatever, but like you know that was so really, Mar- really cool. Mark Marin better watch his ass. Yeah, we're gonna be the next Mark Marin and Doug Benson <laughs> combined. We're gonna yeah, we're be gonna, Mark Benson. Uh, Ira Glass is going to cry a little more than he already does. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, but to, to, to throw a random assault, insult at Ira Glass. It's been really, really cool to share this weird little obsession of ours with you mm. and to find out that you're into it too and to build an audience based on pff, nothing. Like, we mm. don't really have a publicist or anything. All of our social media stuff is just run by us in our spare time. If the show has any success, it's because it's kind of a fun idea and people have been listening and, and then have been telling other people to listen and have kept listening you, and so this is all kind of on you guys so thank you you, you glorious attractive uh, sexually virile people yeah. uh, are tuning in week after week and we appreciate everything you've done and uh, to celebrate yeah. we have decided to kind of uh, compare contrast and just sort of look back yeah. over the last uh, 
44 TV series. Uh, 43 TV series. 40, okay, 43 yeah, TV series. Yeah, this is the 44th episode, so this is okay. on the TV. 43 TV series yeah. and also TV specials yeah. that we have watched over the course of the last year. And, and it's an eclectic mix. I mean, uh, mix. We, we mm. really we, we watched failed pilots from multiple different decades, uh, weird sci-fi stories, uh Porn, we <laughs> outright porn in one case. Pretty much just yeah. porn, cartoon shows, anime, uh, and and it's it's such an unusual, uh, almost ephemeral uh, cross section of television history. We have some ideas about how to where we can go from here, but right now we really wanted to take a step back and sort of look back at where we've been. If you've listened to every episode uh, so far, there's going to be some callbacks. If you haven't listened to every episode, maybe you'll uh, hear us talking about some shows that you missed mm-hmm. um, that you might want to find out more about because we went through some weird stuff this year. <laughs> and also we're going to have, uh, at the end of this episode, the reveal of which film, uh, which film, what okay. we're still film critics, which television <laughs> series won, uh, which episode of our show won the audience award. We invited you for about the last month to email us with your picks for your favorite canceled too soon episodes. We're going to announce the winner. Uh, well, on this what? episode, so and that that's uh, viewer's choice, like yeah. uh, of not of the rest of not this. of the best series we've watched, but of the best conversation you and I had, essentially yeah. uh, uh, following it. And we've really been paying attention to those, mm-hmm. and we'll tell you the runners up as well. And the shows that you you were selecting most often is the kind of stuff we're going to try to bring you more of in our next year. Um, and also, uh, we're going to announce the winner of a drawing. Everyone who submitted their votes. Uh, yeah, for the SUNY Awards. Got their name put in a hat. Yeah, oh, and the, we will announce we were, that. We were, uh, the SUNYs, by the way, was a suggestion by a fan. We should, oh, yeah. we should point that out. Yeah. Uh, by Paula what, Hayfley. What, what we were going to call the show. Uh, we, we were actually kicking around the idea of calling it the Puchinski Awards after our inaugural episode. Yes. Um, I guess that didn't fly as well. It doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well. The Soonies is perfect. So we're, I shouldn't have thought it. Because uh, because Paula, thank you for writing in, suggested yeah. it. We're calling it the Soonies, the Sunni Awards. Yeah. And if we ever get like statues uh, built, they will be built to look like Paula. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, send, yeah. send us get in one of those like three D modeling camera booths Leads. like they have at those three D printing labs that they have in malls. Yeah. Get in one of those uh, and yeah, get send us a scan and we'll ha- start three D printing out statues of you. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately, because um, that's not creepy at all. Everyone who sent in their votes are going to put your names in a hat, and the winner of a drawing is going to be able to pick a future episode mm. of Cancel Too Soon, and we will announce that in a Facebook Live video uh. this coming Wednesday, May third, mm. at twelve p.m. Pacific Standard Time at our Facebook page. Well, it'd be Pacific Daylight Time, but <sighs> shut up. Hey, you know, just you're right, but just, shut up. Just splitting some hairs you're here. You're right, but shut up. Look at this hair; it splits four ways. Uh, Wednesday, May third, at mm-hmm. Facebook.com/slash Cancel Too Soon. Follow us if you haven't already. We're going to be doing a Facebook Live drawing, and if anyone's there, uh, we'll also answer some questions and tease a little bit about what's coming in the next year. Yes. But in the meantime, we really want to get down to the Cancel Too Soon Awards because how exciting is this? And for our first award. Mm-hmm. Well, list what the categories are first. Oh, you want to, you want to list them all? Okay. Yeah. The categories just, just, are. Just so people know what to anticipate as Fair we enough. go forward. The categories are uh-huh. best theme song, mm-hmm. best pilot episode, mm. biggest cliffhanger. I.e. I. When, when the series was cut off unduly or perhaps mm-hmm. duly. The inaugural Lee Van Cleef Award for actor who was slumming it. <laughs> The Best Future Star Award for mm. actor who is in something before they became big. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Best Guest Star Award for just, oh, they popped up and weren't they great. Best Supporting Actor, male or female. Mm. 
best lead actor, yeah, male we, or female. We, we didn't we didn't split into actor and actress. We're just going to do best we performance. We don't think that's really necessary. There's so many great performances, and honestly, mm. separating them is a little. Uh, rude and disrespectful I think I don't think it's necessary hmm. I think they can you know we, we don't need to split it up between I don't know countries let's just split up uh, I think in the Oscars it's wise to do because there's so few good roles for women that they need a category it's kind of yeah. kind of sad kind of sad that's Fair where enough. we are but we'll, we'll be doing that hmm. and uh, there's also weirdest series we've ever reviewed hmm. I the, think you know what that one is you might guess the worst series we've ever reviewed hmm. the audience award and the best series we ever reviewed will be our mm. final, final category. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't have a Price Waterhouse envelope screw-ups here. We just no. have a list. We just we just each uh, picked the short list of our favorites, then mm. we just sort of jammed them mm. together, and whichever one we both liked the most ended up number one for the most part. But uh, it's fun, and it's democratic in its own non-democratic way. Let's uh, move on. Yeah. Uh, for the first category, mm. best theme Music. We encountered a lot of fun theme songs over the course of this yeah. uh, last year. And theme music uh, sadly seems to have gone away in a lot of modern TV series. Not a, lot, a lot of TV they, shows eschew it all together and just have a quick title screen. Yeah, they have a title, or yeah, they'll like play this sort of abstract thing that only takes a few minutes. And I understand why they want to get to the show. Mm -hmm. They want to take up valuable airtime with just more theme music. But a good theme song is worth its weight in gold. And a great theme song explains the premise of the show in a really catchy tune. And an adequate theme song is just weird. Kind of hummable. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. But like we some of the we've found some weird ones, some mm. fun ones, some really catchy ones. And we're gonna start off with our first runner up, mm. a little show called mm. Man <laughs> and Machine. Uh, the theme song written by Mark Mothersbaugh. I love that theme so much. And it's not just the theme, because the theme is just sort of weird and hazily sci-fi and broad, but it's over this image of Yancey Butler, who starred in Man and Machine as this sexy robot who joins a police force and has to learn about being human. But she's just spinning around naked well, like she's on a spit. It's, it's, like, her, it's, just, it's, it's her head, but it's like a CGI model body. Yeah. And it and it's not rotating smoothly. It's kind of like jerking around in that sort of MTV yeah. edit sort of way. And then at the end, she just shoots lasers at her eyes—a thing mm. she can't do in the series. I think she was projecting humanity out of her eyes in this abstract <laughs> way. That if anyone can project humanity out of their eyes, it's Yancey it's Yancey Butler. Butler. <laughs> Those eyes. Uh, she's she's fabulous. So that was a fun one, but it's not really catchy. And the rest of our stuff is mm. is is really really catchy. So our second. Runner up is one of my personal favorites. I mm. wish it had ranked higher, but uh, <laughs> my god, it mm. is Dracu, 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 Dracula. I was, I was, I had this song stuck in my head for weeks after we reviewed Dracula, the series. Do, 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 do. The fun thing. 
I learned I learned about not only Dracula the series but also this theme music from a CD I bought kind of at random uh, from Tower back in the day that the Sci-Fi Channel had put out. Mm-hmm. They put out this four-volume set of all TV and movie themes. I got volume two, The Dark Side, <laughs> and I don't you know it had like recognizable stuff like Suspiria and you know Hellraiser, but it also had Dracula the series, and so I got to groove to this. About a, you know, a couple dozen times before I even knew anything about Dracula the series. Now I've seen Dracula the series. The theme song's way better than the show. Oh, fuck you. I love Dracula the series. <laughs> but beyond that, when I talked to people who said, well, we're reviewing Dracula the series, and people were like, I, don't, I vaguely remember that. And then I would hum the theme song and be like, oh, I remember that. They that was the, the coolest song, thing. Yeah. Like, everyone likes that theme song. It was just this fun, mm. kind of disco-y theme song. And our next runner-up is... A little weird because it's actually not the main theme song that we're nominating. Mm. It's the closing credits theme song, which is several minutes long and originally written by Ludwig von Beethoven. It is the closing credits music for Dragon Half. We're going to stop there because that goes on for seriously several minutes. And it's what they did was they took this very light, silly Mm. anime series uh, and gave it the biggest music possible and then added lyrics, which, if you don't speak Japanese, they're about eating lunch. Yeah, it's about like the the various ingredients that are going into your meal. No, don't touch those eggs. Those are my eggs. Here's a sandwich Mm. I made for you. That's like the lyrics. The, the, but the show has no themes of eating lunch or gathering food or, or They do eating. eat a dragon. They eat a dragon once. Once. They, yes. eat, they eat a dragon once. Yeah. The show's not about that eating of that dragon, though. That is an incidental thing. That's true. That happens in the show. <laughs> yeah. Even though it's dragon half. Uh-huh. Dragon's rather incidental. Mm. Let's move on. Uh, and then, uh, so this was one. So the number two, mm. the second to last runner up, this was hot in contention for number one. The top, really two are, the top two were really, really, really great, and I had a really, <laughs> it was really hard for me to like ultimately decide, decide to go with number two. Uh, this was one we sang on the show. Uh, the or, top or rather, two, rather the top two we, we sang on we the show. We recited. Okay. Oh, we, we, we sang them both. That's oh, right. well, we sang them both because they're both great. <laughs> uh, and this one, yeah, you're probably going to remember it. You're probably going to love it. I think a lot of people remember and love mm-hmm. it. It's for a little show called Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Wars. <laughs> Another time and space A parallel universe is falling on its face When out of the chaos, who else could it be? But the animal adventurers from SPACE Bucky! Captain Bucky O'Hare Mutants and aliens and toads beware You, you just need to like throw I'm, up I'm, rock, your, I'm rocking, I'm still throw, rocking You need to throw out the horns like Beavis and Butthead <laughs> And just thrash to the Bucky O'Hare yeah. and the Toad Wars Because not only does it like tell you everything you need to know Not only is it hard rocking but they add weird elements. They spell stuff mm-hmm. just to keep it. Just even the lyrics well, are it, kind of extemporaneous uh, and crazy. Uh, SP, it's a complicated show. It's a weird show. It takes place in this you know parallel universe, anthropomorphic animals. A good theme song can explain all of that. Yeah. And Bucky Hart and the Toad Wars is masterful at explaining everything. 
not just the setting, but every one of the characters and who the bad guy is and what their relationship is and, and the name of their ship. And the tone. Uh-huh. Like, the tone is, we're going to, this is going to be a fucking adventure, kids. <laughs> Sit down. Sit, no, you sit right down and you watch Bucky O'Hare with the tone boys. It's going to be awesome. We did this for you. Mm. That's how aggressive this theme song is. And you just can't help but appreciate it. And it's really catchy and cool. Yeah. But it's nowhere near as catchy and cool. Well, it's nowhere near as catchy anyway. As the best theme song (laughs) for a bad TV show we've ever run into. I regret everything already. But by God, if this tells you every single thing you need to know about the show. Hmm. You probably know what it is already. <laughs> Whitney, tell us what it is. <laughs> Want to hit the roll there, Jerry? Uh, this is the theme music to the uh, late night porno movie sitcom, uh, Hot Springs Hotel. Randy and Cat living in a flat all by themselves. Telegram said, ain't bitty's dead. Come from the hotel, Hot Springs Hotel. Randy's kind of hard. Oh, this fucking show. <laughs> Oh my god, it was so bad. Uh, it, the theme song implies a witty self-awareness that the show never provides. Oh goodness, no. It's such a dorky, it, it, stupid theme song. It, it also misrepresents the character of Lacey, who is always going crazy according to the, yeah. the theme song, but who in the show is actually kind of the button-down, clear-eyed one who's keeping everything mm. together. Well, I suspect what happened was, when they initially created the character of Lacey, within the dynamic of their ensemble <laughs> cast, they thought, wouldn't it be great if mm. this Lacey character was always going crazy, like, all the time? Like, that was her that was her contribution. And then they cast... Going crazy, like, you know, stripping naked and rubbing sour cream on cats. Or just chasing, you know, mm. guests at the hotel around with a chainsaw. You know, just something there just really nuts. And then what happened <laughs> she, she was... She ate a human finger today. They found the right actor... Mm. And she was more sort of conservative in her Demure, portrayal of the character. Yeah. If you'll recall, Anthony Daniels, when he was cast as C-3PO, C-3PO was originally created for Star Wars to be a fast-talking used car salesman type. Ah, uh, I, I, have, I have heard this. And then Anthony Daniels came around and he made him very sort of meek mm. and cowardly. Yeah, kind, of, kind of a feat. Yeah, and it was an approach that George Lucas hadn't considered, but he loved it and it worked. That's lazy. <laughs> so... This, 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 so and honestly... The I character think, of Lacey from Hot Springs Hotel is just as memorable and just as notable in the fabric of all of popular culture as C-3PO from Star Trek. Yes. Now, does this mean Theo uh, is R2-D2? Sure. Okay. He, he is the shortest of the cast. That's true. <laughs> he's got those nipple piercings, and it's like those little, like, security bolts so that they put on the robots. Nipple piercings, so he's practically a machine. There <laughs> Hot Springs Hotel is one of the most arduous shows we've ever had to oh, watch, but, God, but at least rough. the music got us through it, because not only was there that great theme song, mm. not only was there the weird reggae hero worshipy closing credits... About Randy. Randy, man, uh, don't look now. Well, you're, you're making it sound far more operatic than it was. No, that's all I can it, do. That was clearly like studio musicians and a Casio. Fair enough. <laughs> but there was the music in the middle, which was great, too, because there's, there's like ten minutes of sex mm. in every... 18-minute episode of Hot Springs Hotel. And the sex was always played with, like, just... just We, we talked about it on the episode. Just, like, Casio sampler music. Yeah, yeah. And it would be, like, kind of vaguely sexy, surfy, generic... You know, notes that go together, but there's no real melody. There's, no, there's it, no beginning, there's no end, there's no resolution. It just sort of plays. But then I'll... But then every once in a while, and I'll never get over this until the day I die, it would just, you know... Bounce, 
Like, what the? What? This is the guy at the cashier just getting bored. Yeah, I'll throw just in Popeye and see if they notice. Starts, they never in, did. starts improvising partway through. There was one bit, however, where that music was wholly appropriate. And there was a scene where... Uh, the, Popeye showed up? No, where the, the main character goes to get a massage. It's her mm. day to, to go out and take a day off. And she goes to a massage. And I think they don't really massage her, but they rub, like, strawberry grime they, on her body. They rub various... Whatever they had in craft services that day, they yeah. just rubbed uh, on it's, her body. It's uh, really revolting. <laughs> but the music they played during the scene was uh, kind of this knockoff, breezy, would-be Enya kind of type music. Uh-huh. The kind of music you hear when you're actually getting a massage. Yeah. So in that one scene where Kat is getting strawberries crushed against her abdomen... Was the music appropriate? So congratulations, Hot Springs Hotel. About like 20 years after you went off the air, you've just won the first ever Cancel Too Soon Award. <laughs> Hooray! Here's your, your Sunni. Put, put it on the IMDb page, post-haste. <laughs> Awards won. <laughs> One Sunni. One Sunni. The next category is for Best Pilot Episode. Oftentimes, a show puts their best foot forward mm. in their pilot episode, and then they... Don't really have the follow through or the pilot episode didn't set up enough, but the pilot episode is gangbusters. Mm. The pilot episode might be better than anything else. So this is an award that's specifically designed for the show that put their best foot forward. It's also one where we don't <coughs> really agree on a lot. Okay. Like all of our nominees are kind of different, uh, except for our number one pick. Mm. Uh, so I want to hear your pick for mm. why. Here's our first runner up. Oh. Why did you pick the pilots to the 100 Lives of Blackjack Savage? Look, The 100 Lives of Blackjack Savage, like Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Wars, has on. has one of the oddest premises of any TV show. It communicated everything. It gave us all of the characters. It set up the setting. It let us know everything we need to know and put us forward into this universe where this bizarre superhero thing was going to take place. For people, and I bought it. For anyone who hasn't heard the episode yet... What is oh, the premise? That oh, it they've sets heard up? it. Um, <laughs> Donald Trump has been uh, is getting busted for insider trading or some sort of uh, corporate malfeasance mm -hmm. uh, to avoid detection from the feds. He runs off to a tiny island in the middle of the Caribbean. The island is run by a dictator. Mm -hmm. He moves a funny dictator. A funny dictator. He buys a mansion and uh, he cannot sell it. He has to stay in this mansion. It turns out this mansion is haunted by the ghost of a pirate who is lynched. Uh, several hundred years before. I mm -hmm. forgot the exact timeline. Yeah. Uh, and only he can see the ghost. Mm -hmm. The ghost can pass through walls, communicate with him, but the ghost cannot leave the mansion, otherwise the back half of a goat will chase him. I believe it was the back uh, half of a rat. Whatever it was, it was the back half of some animal. Yeah, it's weird, they don't give it a head. It's just the back half of some furry creature. And they called it a, a Grendler, I forget what they it called it. It was not a Grendler. No, it was, it was not a, a Grendler. It was a Snark. A Snark, excuse me. <laughs> and it's weird because Michael Eisner like introduces the show like every episode like at first. And at first he's like, you know, you and oh, me don't have to worry about Snarks. But Blackjack Savage does. Speak for yourself, Michael Eisner. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, only he can see the ghost. The ghost is stuck in limbo and can only pass into heaven if he atones for the lives he took during his life mm. hundreds of years before. Yeah. So he now has to convince Donald Trump 
to take to a essentially night boat. Yeah, and, a sci-fi superboat. And help him save lives so that he can clear his record. And you thought this was masterfully presented in the first episode. Look, somebody's taken a lot of drugs and coming up with ideas for shows. <laughs> All of that. Now, why he has the night boat isn't explained until a later episode, so no, that part's a little bizarre. kind of, because the dude kind invented of like, it, and he just sort of left it at the, at the, uh, at the yes, mansion by accident. A dude invented it, and he left it by the mansion, and he uh, now Donald Trump owns it. Uh, it's not Donald Trump, by the way. It's Ter- Barry Tarberry, but it's a Donald Trump he's, tie. Again, he's, he's, he's Donald Trump he's, in the same way that Biff Tannen is Donald Trump in Back to the Future yeah, Part 2. M- clearly modeled after Donald Trump. So, uh, so yeah, I think... When you're dealing with such a bonkers idea, and you can present it so earnestly, in in like clearly in a mm-hmm. pilot like that, it deserves some med- mention. Okay. It deserves here's some a, credit. Here's what I'm gonna say: this show was created by James Wong and Glenn Morgan, like the guys who brought you Final Destination, some of the best X Files episodes, and of course, uh, TV super producer Stephen J. Cannell. Mm. Those gentlemen hold up in a motel somewhere with just a typewriter. And an eight ball of coke, <laughs> and they just cranked this pilot out, and I, I will give them an honorable mention just for that. All right, because that must have been one hell of a weekend. So when 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 William S. Burroughs was writing Naked Lunch, he was just on the he was on a drug bender. He holed up in a hotel. He took a bunch of heroin, and he started banging away at his typewriter. When he was done with a page, just of this train of con- stream of consciousness drug fueled stupor he was in he'd finish a page and he'd throw it over his head uh-huh. and then at the end of several days you know he was pretty much starving to death so he passed out on the floor uh-huh. uh, Ginsburg and Kerouac went looking for him they broke in they say they found him they took care of him he's okay now and they found this big pile of papers and they said what is this he said I don't know I was I was high out of my gourd and, <laughs> and Kerouac says can we make a book out of this and bro said sure whatever <laughs> if you can make it. so Kerouac put those pages together as best he could, and that's Naked Lunch, one of the the tent poles of the beat movement. And uh, that's what the 100 Lives of Blackjack Savage feels like. Yeah. Like the, but it's the 1980s, and so instead of heroin, it's cocaine. So it's like this lost weekend brought stirringly to life. And I think that's definitely, definitely notable as a great pilot. Right. Well, my pick for the next runner-up is yeah. a little less bizarre. Okay. Uh, my pick for the next runner-up is a show that I think came out swinging and then maybe didn't have the energy to sustain itself. Mm. But by God, just the 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 tone, the characters, the subversive attitude it had mm. starting out was really striking. And I remember seeing it at the time and saying I'd never seen anything like this. And I have to give it some credit for Profit. Okay. Profit uh, was a television series uh, about a corporate climber, but... Who he he was basically he'd read Machiavelli's The Prince one too many times. Mm. Like he was completely willing to destroy he, anyone who got in his way to was, the extent that they would f- uh, kill, frame people for murders, frame people for non-existent murders. He was more or less Patrick Bateman, uh, kind of, but no. like he didn't really kill that many people. He was sleeping with his mom. Like it, <laughs> he slept in like a TV box. Like it was really just kind of. Guzzy, mm. The entire thing. And it really took every little thing we had seen in TV <coughs> shows, especially soap operas, like Dynasty or mm. Dallas, and just kind of imploded it, but didn't let any of the concussive force out. Like, it just stayed inside. Mm. And everyone just kept rattling around like debris as they kept trying to destroy themselves. 
Meanwhile, the show was kind of crap because it had these terrible, like, disclosure virtual reality segments that didn't work. And, it, it was an earlier time. That's like, what we thought computers were going to be. But, like, it's even, okay. Even at the time, oh. like, the terminology was like, oh, I'll modem that yeah, to they, you. They use the word modem as a verb twice over so, the course so of that, the series. So that knocks it back down to runner up <laughs> territory. But there really was nothing like Profit. Mm. And I still think, even to this day, it still feels really subversive and cool for the first couple episodes in particular. So I really uh, dug it. Uh, a little bit. I think it's a little too bizarre. I think they try. You they picked tried- 100 Lives of Blackjack Savage. It's too bizarre. <laughs> it, it didn't. Here's what I'll say about the 100 Lives of Blackjack Savage. It has a consistent tone. Uh, Profit kind of vacillates a little bit. Mm. I don't think it sticks with the scuzziness quite as hard as it could have. I think it's trying so hard to undermine what we expect of soap operas. Yeah, that's true. That it uses some of that soap opera lingo, and then it undermines it, and I think that is effective. But I can see mm. where you're pointing. Mm. Uh, now, your pick for the next runner-up... Mm. Is one that I, I kind of got to agree with. It really wasn't my first choices, mm. but touche. No. Uh, it is the Warlord Battle for the Galaxy, yeah, aka the Osiris Chronicles, and this was just a pilot. It never got past it. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, the Warlord was uh, kind of kind of an antidote to Star Trek in a lot of ways, <laughs> uh, and, and which they pretty much uh, reinforce in dialogue. It's yeah. It's about this group of uh, ragtag spacefaring misfits who go on an adventure, but uh, their ship is not like the Enterprise at all, and they have to sort of barter and trade and do battle with the or battle do dealings with these sort of shady engineer aliens to get their ship fixed, and then the engineer aliens want to kidnap one of them, and it doesn't. The, it, it's yeah. You said Prophet was really subversive. This one is, it's not subversive in that it's like satirical. It's not trying to explode anything, but it is a little bit naughty. It's, <laughs> it was directed by Joe Dante, and Joe Dante really had this very solid um, mischievous streak to him. I mean, this is the, the Gremlins guy, after all. And I think what he wanted to do is take a lot of the sci-fi tropes at the time, construct a really workable universe, but also try to undo a lot of things we take for granted out of a lot of sci-fi TV. A lot of... Once you get the second half of the show in particular, Mm. uh, it really... Practically every scene is in some way taking the piss out of Star Trek. Like, (laughs) a scene will just open with someone, like, arguing with how stupid a replicator is, like, Mm. in a Douglas Adams kind of way. Or the bad guys are basically the Federation. Yeah, they they want everybody to join this sort of collective, but it turns out the collective is a big, greasy mound of grossness. Yeah, if you remove everyone's individualism enough, mm. you end up with nothing, mm. and uh, our heroes are fighting mm. for that with that sort of rebellious spirit in mind. the The thing that keeps that kept it out of my list initially, and I, I'm not even going to dispute anymore because you are right. Mm. The first half of the pilot is really clunky. Because it's just this uh, it's, really generic milquetoast dude, it, it and his sister seems, gets kidnapped off yeah, camera. It seems like it's really weirdly edited. Like, they had more, or they, they intended to shoot more, and they just ran out of time. But yeah, once it kind of gets going, yeah, I, I see this really solid universe, and I liked all of the characters. There wasn't an, an annoying one in the bunch, and you could see that they were going to go ahead with this kind of new idea, and they never did. <laughs> uh, my pick for the last runner-up for the best pilot episodes, an episode that didn't just impress me. It didn't just kind of blow me away. It scared me. Yeah. And it's a pilot for a little Canadian horror anthology series called Darknet. Nice. Darknet was such an ambitious show, and I really have to admire it for that. It was basically Robert Altman's creep show, where not it was not just that there was a whole bunch of like different 
exactly. interconnected. There were interconnected creepy stories in every single episode. Yeah, it was presented like an anthology show, but mm-hmm. as the show went on, you got to see that each segment connected to another segment. In They're some all way. taking place in like the same city and around mm-hmm. the same time, and characters that interact with each other and even come into conflict with one another, um, or accidentally spurn each other, or like the murder that you think happened later actually inspired this other story you've been watching concurrently. The pilot episode is just this really impressive contemporary grand guignol of, of, of miserable horror of a woman who thinks there's a guy living in her apartment that she can't see who's mm-hmm. like hiding. Uh, there's a guy who um, has finds a series of uh, locker, locker keys mm-hmm. at, a, at a bus station and that does not go well at all. There's a horrible thing that's going to happen with someone in like an adorable jumpsuit in a park and you never quite get a good look at it. Um, Everything. Uh, there's a guy who like joins a chat room, and someone in the chat room is just like, "I think I've just killed someone. How do I dispose of the body?" And as a joke, thinking it's bullshit, he starts mm-hmm. helping, but then he realizes he might be actually helping a murderer. <laughs> These are all good ideas for horror mm-hmm. shorts, and Darknet masterfully intertwines them so that it doesn't feel forced. Some of the later episodes do. This one, it just feels like this rich tapestry of terror that all has happened concurrently. It's really great. As we mentioned on that episode, uh, Rebecca McKendry was our special guest that episode. Uh, How you could tell that they had this pilot uh, like written and done. They had all of this attention they wanted to put into the pilot. Mm -hmm. And when it came time to actually go to series, they had to start hurrying more and more. So the the show does feel more and more rushed as you go along. So like the first two or three episodes are all really good and then it falls apart real fast. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, those, it's but this, like, it starts so great. It's like though. the it's like second record syndrome. Uh, my, my wife mm. pointed this out to me. Like the uh, when a band puts out a record, they've been working on those songs a long time. They've been touring with these songs. They put out their first record. They finally honed it. It's taken years essentially to make this first record, mm. and it's a big hit. And somebody says, "Okay, what else you got?" And they have to kind of rush the second record, and it's always a disappointment. You, you, you see that a lot with like novels and screenplays as well. Mm. People will like, "Oh, if I spent my entire twenties working on my first novel, mm. and then there's an anxiety sets in. Now I got to mm. crank out the second. Yeah, you know, and, and and if talented writers often pull it off, but even talented yeah. writers sometimes don't. Well, and it's, and it's tricky. It's a different. Uh, a, a lot of a lot of writers just sort of fall into the sequel. I, I don't want to call it a trap because a lot of people you know yeah. can do good work in the sequel. Like look at J.K. Rowling. Like if her second book wasn't Harry Potter, like if there was only the first one, and that's all we ever got. Like, do you think she would have had the success she had? Uh, probably not, because Harry Potter one mm. is just an okay kids book. And mm. then it only gets great as time goes on. You can see her evolve as a writer so yeah. well. The first book is good, don't get me wrong, uh, but, but it's uh, great by, like, book it, four. It was a big hit, but, you yeah. know, if, if she had, like, decided to, well, you know, I want to do other things. I want to explore other worlds, do other fantasy books. She'd be semi-notable. She wouldn't, yeah, she wouldn't, be, a, she wouldn't be a she bazillionaire. Might been, she might have done other great books. Maybe so. Maybe, yeah. maybe there was a, something even better and more successful than Harry Potter. But let's her. move on. Let's talk about our number one pick for the best pilot episode mm. we've ever covered. And uh, it feels like a cheat because it was really, really recent. Uh, uh, what was our pick for number one? Our number pick for number one, uh, number one pick, Yeah, <laughs> was uh, our number one pick was Earth 2. Which we just talked about last mm. week. <laughs> and by God, what a great pilot. <laughs> this pilot is everything. This pilot introduces an entire ensemble cast of characters uh, in a way that every single one of them is engaging and clearly defined, and not only that, but set out on a particular path. 
yeah, in the, the first this, episode. This isn't like uh, Warlord or or Space Rangers or another one of the uh, sci-fi series we've covered because the characters aren't part of the same crew. They're not all necessarily working together for a common goal. They're just all on the same journey. They're kind of forced together, and uh, that's where a lot of conflict comes in. Yeah. And uh, this uh, pilot is masterful. It's sort of setting the machinery of that conflict in motion, mm-hmm. uh, it, communicating a lot of really bazonkers stuff about like the mechanics of Earth 2 and these weird yeah. aliens. The science, and, the alien creatures, mm-hmm. the dynamics between the characters, the weird far-out elements of this plot that sends people to colonize an entirely new Earth. Uh, there's a lot to fit into one episode, and this does it pretty much just right. Like, yeah, no, I, I defy nothing, you to find a flaw, a flaw with it. Yeah, nothing feels rushed or forced. Nothing feels extraneous. And uh, it does a really good job of, yeah, yeah like, like I said, of communicating everything. Yeah. Um, and uh, at the very, very, I believe it's at the very, very end of the pilot, we get a glory shot of Tim Curry. So I think we're good on all counts here. Yeah, everything wins. <laughs> it's pretty much the best pilot I've ever seen for a show that got canceled. Too it's soon. like, oh, no, the show's canceled, but Tim Curry's coming. Okay. Ooh. You hooked me in every possible way. Uh, speaking of hooks, let's do our next category mm. uh, is the biggest cliffhanger. Mm. One of the problems that we've encountered when we watch this show is that, you know, a lot of these shows never came to any sort of conclusion. And if you're actually in any way invested, it's frustrating as hell. It's <laughs> yeah. really annoying. Mo- most of the shows we watched uh, thought they were going to continue. Yeah. Uh, only a few like knew that the the hammer was about to come down, so they had the wherewithal to actually yeah. kind of wrap things up a little bit. A few ended with enough finality that they can get by with saying the story is over, but you could mm. always tell there was more going on. And some of them ended with just a fucking cliffhanger, mm-hmm. and it drove us up the wall. <laughs> uh, our number one pick was yeah. real, real obvious. But let's burn through our runners yeah. up. Uh, you picked for mm. your one of your runners up mm. a show that didn't even occur to me to put on here. Tell <laughs> me why you picked. Of Kings and Prophets. Well, Of Kings and Prophets is a very recent show. It was sort of a a biblical take on Game of Thrones, where they're trying to do this sort of like sex-soaked historical drama with a lot of period detail. A lot lot of of violence. Violence, a lot of monies going into the sets, and... But on network TV, so it couldn't be too sexy or too violent. Mm-hmm. So and, it only uh, lasted, but it only lasted two. It episodes. only lasted two episodes because it was obviously way too expensive. The problem was, uh, like Game of Thrones, they were trying to set up a lot of different characters, and they all had their own story arcs, and they were all going in this certain direction, and we weren't really sure where they were going to go. Two episodes later, gone. We don't get to see anything. It just sort of wait, wait, wait. But I, I don't know anything. <laughs> they just established, just all of a sudden, that. At the end of the second episode, mm. David is told that he's going to be king. And it was right after he said, boy, am I glad I never have to be king. Mm. And then they're just like, oh, you're king now. And he's like, what the fuck? Credits. And, and I, I imagine they were going to do that every episode. Some every sort episode of, they were going to tell him he was going to be king? Well, some big bombshell was going to mm. drop every episode. And... Uh, but the problem with that is y- you cut off halfway through, you're stuck with a bombshell. And yeah. it just so happens that we have this big bombshell and we don't know what's ever going to happen. And, and it's a characters. shame they never put the events of, of Kings and Prophets in book form. Otherwise, mm. we could have found out. Uh, well, there is this one book. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Tell me more. Uh, it's called The Bibli. The Bibli. <laughs> the Bibli. As, as, as Eddie Ozard would say. Yeah. The Holly oh. Bibble. I mean, I I know I know what happens in the story. <laughs> That's why it didn't occur to me to put it down. Okay, <laughs> I was like, I do know how that one ends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my pick, my, my first pick for a runner-up. 
uh, is one that bugs me because it actually really did make me want to see the second season, like, really, really bad. Mm. The show itself was very, very mixed, but I was like, ooh, this, there's a lot of possibilities I kind of want to go to. Mm. Uh, we talked about it already. It's Dracula the series. Okay, which Dra- and ends with Dracula's space hole. Yeah, which we talk about all the time because it's really, really cute. It's really funny to me. Mm. Um, Dracula the series is a show which is basically the Lost Boys mm. uh, meet Dracula. The kids start to live with their grandfather. The grandfather a, yeah, is a Van a, Helsing. They're in Eastern Europe somewhere. Yeah. Dracula is now like a Donald Trump yuppie type who's trying to take over the world financially and magically. And at the end of this, at the end of the series, as we had it at the end of the season, uh, we found out that Dracula doesn't sleep in a coffin. Dracula sleeps in a space hole. He, he, his, he keeps in his, his fireplace. His fire, the back of his fireplace opens up, and there's a big swirling blue vortex, and he steps inside, and that's where he sleeps. And I guess yeah. he's protected there because like time stops there. It's kind of unclear how the space hole works. Yeah, all we know is that at the end of the episode, mm. Dracula and Van Helsing are fighting each other. They fly into the space hole. Mm. The space hole closes, and the kids are going to go back home to America. But we find out that Uncle Van Helsing has left them all of his research and his notes, and they're going to continue on in his stead mm. fighting vampires. But now they're going to do it in America. Okay. I wanted to know what was going to happen next. <laughs> Van Helsing and Dracula got to come back, obviously, but maybe the comeback changed. Maybe they come back, like, they were, like, popping maybe, through time together. Maybe they're maybe, partners now, and they're maybe, space cops. Maybe they merged into one character, like Tuvix. No one likes Tuvix. <laughs> Everybody loves Tuvix. Tuvix is the worst thing Star Trek ever did. <laughs> Uh, no, there's worse. Okay, there's that's, worse that's things. Fine, I guess. <laughs> but Tuvix is down there. Tuvix is quite bad. The, <laughs> the, the, lurking down there around Spock's brain. Dragon of the Series is really, really spotty, but I think it had its charms. And I mm. think they found a way to end it in such a way that really made you think, you know what? The show might expand and improve and get better and add new elements and travel to different places and explore different dimensions. There's so much more we could do with it, and we never will! Fuck! <laughs> Fuck! Sorry. I was really getting into it. Got cut off. I really like what, that what's show. The, what's the next runner-up? The, next, up? One, the <laughs> next one was another one of mine, which I'm surprised you didn't put on there, because it was literally apocalyptic. Mm. Uh, this was a show that was a listener request. Mm. Uh, it was submitted to us. It was the first thing anyone ever bought off our Amazon wishlist, which is still available if you ever want to contribute to that. You can just look up Cancel Too Soon on Amazon and send us a mm. show if you want to contribute yeah. to our Vast you, library. You, you've all been very generous so far. We have like about about fifty, si- yeah, fifty or sixty here yeah. on the table next and to us. We're gonna so, get yeah. as fast as we can, but again, we still want to surprise you. But the first one we ever got in the mail, we mm. had to do it right away, was mm. Point Pleasant, mm. which was this really cool kind of combination of like, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but also the Stand. Uh, I, or, I, I or saw the it more. Omen. I saw it more as yeah, like a uh, Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero meets the Omen. Beverly Hills nine hundred two one Omen. There you go. What? 90210. It's right there. It was right there in front of you. Uh, but it's about this young girl. She's the, she's the Antichrist, and she's in this. She winds up in this small town, and she doesn't realize she's having this like horrible effect on everybody. And like people start turning psychic and getting going all evil on each other. And she starts inspiring people who had been resisting the urge to be serial killers to start becoming serial killers. And it had a lot of promise, but and, it never and, and really who played the serial killer. We'll get to that later. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it, it was, had all this promise, and it never quite hit the sweet spot, but it ended really big. This is the kind of show where you could imagine they'd be, like, leading to the apocalypse by, like, season five. Mm. 
At the end of the episode, she's gone full evil and is, like, walking down the highway with, like, a swirling vortex of horror, like, just following her. like a cloud of ravens falling behind her. the family she's living with, the mom is now psychic, the dad has been struck blind by the heroine, (laughs) and the daughter, who was the heroine's best friend, just says, and now we gotta kill her. Like, what the fuck? I want to see this. I I feel like so much went down in that last episode of Point Pleasant that it doesn't really count as a cliffhanger. It counts as okay, we know we're going off the air. Let's just do it. Let's just do the apocalypse. Let's just kill kill characters. <laughs> Let's just do it. Yeah. They're going to go off on like this road trip to mm. find the Antichrist. Who's on her way to New York, I believe, at, at the, the end time, of the episode. At the time, yeah. I don't know if the next season was going to take place in New York. It was just going to be her first stop on her big worldwide revenge tour. But basically, there's a teenager who is mad at the world mm. like teenagers are, but with all the supernatural power of Satan mm. to destroy anything she wanted. And she has given up on morality. Mm. She was torn between wanting to be good and like being tempted to be evil. She's like, fuck it, I'm evil. She's Katie Kaboom. She is Katie Kaboom. <laughs> but it was cool, and it was like building some really, but really it, big. It's like Katie Kaboom, but it was cool. Like Katie Kaboom. Anyway, oh. I thought it was a really cool cliffhanger. It really made me want to see more of a show I was kind of on the fence about for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one... It was more your pick than mine. Uh-huh. Tell me about, the f- we just talked about last episode as well, the season finale of Earth 2. Well, the, the season finale, i.e. the third to last episode. Uh, yeah, they aired <laughs> them out of order, which is probably one of the reasons why it didn't uh, take it, off. It, it was about frontier life and dealing with stuff on the frontier um, on this alien planet, and uh, everybody's struck sick by some mysterious illness, and it turns out it all relates to a chip that was implanted in their brains. And uh, I, I like the idea of them sort of dying of dysentery on the, the <laughs> frontier, but in a sci-fi way. Yeah, and the they sci-fi have a, Oregon Trail. And rather than barter the medicine with the locals, they have to barter computer codes from a sentient satellite. And that's, you know, kind of a, a sci-fi twist on that old tale. Uh, but it ends on a, on a big cliffhanger in that it turns out the captain sort of of this little merry troop, uh, Captain Devon A. Dare, uh, was still ill after they all took the cure. Yeah, she was just and sick for another reason. She, and and it, it's never explained what she was sick with. She was just sick, as she was, one gets. And she was going to die, like, real, real fast. Yeah, so they so just froze her. They, they put her in, yeah, they put her in this sort of cryotube, and then they walked away, and that was the end of the show. And I was wondering if they're going to write her out, if this cryotube is going to come into play, are they going to take a frozen captain with her? With I them? figured what they would do Are you going to unfreeze her every third episode for some advice and then freeze her again quickly? I figured what they do is the season two would begin with her getting unfrozen and then everyone else had been doing what they were doing for a couple of years and the entire status quo had changed and the kids who are obviously going to age out of that real real fast are now teenagers Mm. and you could really just play with it yeah but it was a really big cliffhanger and i just i couldn't in good conscience put it on there because it wasn't the last episode right right, so it really was a cool cliffhanger and just Knocked it down a notch. Because, yeah, in the next episode, not, o- not only was she better, she was out of the tube, uh, but everybody's hair was a lot shorter all of a sudden. <laughs> a character who had previously, like, had a leg injury, suddenly the injury was back. Yeah. And one of the and the character who had died at the, the head of the last episode was also suddenly alive again. Just so. because the network was stupid yes, and aired, they, him, yeah, out they aired him out of why, order. Why do that? They just mixed them up. They got lost in a drawer somewhere. God damn it. Anyway. But the number one, the biggest cliffhanger, and this was easy. Mm. So easy. <laughs> it, it was. It was a no-brainer. Because even though the show may not have been great, holy crap! What a cliffhanger. Mm. Whitney. Uh, it is Alcatraz. Alcatraz. Uh, Alcatraz ends with the death of the heroine. 
<laughs> good, good job, that's Alcatraz. Much, you don't so, get much more of a cliffhanger than that. The, the premise of Alcatraz is uh, prisoners from Alcatraz in the '60s suddenly like vanished in the past and are appearing in the present and going about their their daily jobs of being criminals. Uh, in the present, cops are chasing them down. Future cops, and they're putting them back in a prison. There's all this convoluted crap that's completely unnecessary to the show, but. The main part of the show was like trying to find out what was in the basement of Alcatraz. They had these mysterious keys, and at the very end of the pilot, of the last episode, mm. they open up this hatch and they find out that these prisoners from Alcatraz aren't just in San Francisco, but are now spread out, and they've been doing this for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. It's this ancient, maybe it's time travel equipment. They never explain what it is. Yep. And meanwhile, the the heroine of the show, the main cop, is in a car is, chase with is, her with her father. Is in a, yeah, in a car chase. Across town, not even learning any of this information. It was her grandfather. It was her grandfather. And uh, she's shot by her grandfather. She's rushed to the hospital. Uh, Her sidekick character is waiting in the waiting room, waiting to see what's going to happen to her. The camera stays on her face, and she dies on the table. Flatline. Cut to black. That's the end of the show. (laughs) Not the end of the season. That's it. Uh, There's no way you're satisfied with the ending of Alcatraz. So the sidekick doesn't know what's happening. The main character wasn't made privy to any of these big revelations. We don't know what any of them mean. (laughs) Screw you, Lost. Writers, <laughs> we're, we're bad, gonna, we're bad gonna, robot, we're, bad. <laughs> yeah, indeed, bad robot. All right, so the the mm. that's okay. So that's we're spreading these out pretty good. I feel a lot of people are getting mm. some SUNY awards. Mm. Uh, the inaugural Lee Van Cleef Award, aka oh <laughs> you deserve better. But big big stars who are clearly roped into this low budget TV mm-hmm. project. You get you get bonus Either, points in this category if we feel bad for you, but you could just be the best thing in the show, mm-hmm. as you can tell from our first runner up, mm-hmm. Whitney. Tell us about Linda Hunt in Space uh, Rangers. Okay, Space Rangers again was right in that sweet spot of sci fi. Uh, success. Like, Star Trek was riding so high. All the networks were trying to do a Star Trek-type series. And uh, this was Space Rangers. Came out in 94. Like, I think it was right in between... uh, It was right when, I think, Next Generation and Deep Space Nine were both on the air. Uh, Next Generation... Okay, Next Generation and Deep Space Nine... Next Generation had... uh, Deep Space Nine has just premiered. Uh And then Babylon 5 was just about to premiere. And, and, Vo- and Voyager was going to premiere the next year. So, yeah, there was a lot of, like, really high-profile yeah. stuff. Here came a show that had, like, a, a weekly budget of maybe $50 and tried to create a sci-fi epic out of it. And their big get, clearly, was Linda Hunt, Academy Award-winning actress. Yeah. A lot of dignity. Uh, she, she's she been in, like, some really cheesy, stupid crap, and she's mm. always playing a very dignified character, because yeah. that's just something she has. Just commands a room. Mm. She's the commander of everything. And Linda Hunt is, is like, she's not a tall actress, she's, mm. she's, a, she's, a, she's a small person, but she has so much gravitas mm. to everything she does mm. that she just, just, you can see her ruling galaxies with a sweep <laughs> of her face. I, I think she's a big reason why that movie The Relic works. <laughs> movie The Relic doesn't. Work. I love the movie The Relic. You're wrong about The Relic. <laughs> oh, I love the movie The Relic. My next, Nobody likes The Relic. The next runner-up is one that I felt really, really bad for. And in fact, it's actually kind of a tie because it's the same show and they kept getting really good actors to do nothing. Mm. The show is beyond Westworld. <laughs> and the actors are, this is just a tie, mm. George Takei <laughs> and Russell Johnson. Both of mm. whom starred in two of the most iconic television series ever made. George Takei was in Star <coughs> Trek. He was, of course, uh, in Sensulu. Mm. And Russell Johnson. Excuse was the- me. 
It's Lieutenant Sulu. Apologies. Lieutenant Sulu, <laughs> and eventually Captain Sulu. Right. Uh, and Russell Johnson was the professor on Gilligan's Island. Mm. These are not big stars, but they're very recognizable stars, especially on television. And Beyond Westworld got George Takei to play a surgeon who has one line of dialogue, and it got Russell Johnson to stand next to the villain and be his sounding board for villain monologues. Mm. And you just feel really bad for that. I'm sure they needed the paycheck and it wasn't a hard gig. <coughs> you okay? Yeah, sorry. But you just, like, why did you even show up to work today? You know it's what? so sad. I, again, Beyond Westworld came at a time when the Star Trek actors couldn't get work. Remember, it wasn't always huge. It wasn't until it was in syndication for a while that Star Trek yeah. became the hit that it did. But they were decent character actors who deserved more than one line in a yeah. show. That's the thing. Yeah, and, just, and they had more also, dignity than that. if you weren't DeForest Kelly, Leonard Nimoy, or William Shatner, nobody knew who you were on Star Trek. It wasn't until later that we learned those, those actors' names. the movie had already names. come out. Like, there was actually, like, you know, there was a resurgence of Star Trek already. Yeah, I guess so. But yes, for some reason, George Takei was... Did this. Uh, my, my next pick was the runner-up, was a uh, guy who showed up in two different shows. Mm. Showed up in Manimal, <laughs> showed up in The Master, Doug McClure. <laughs> Doug McClure is, if you've ever seen The Simpsons, you may remember the character, Hello, I'm oh. Troy McClure. Yeah. You may remember me from such films as uh. The Taking of Ice Cream Chuck 25. <laughs> like Lead paint, delicious but deadly. Troy McClure was actually like this portmanteau of actors Troy Donahue and Doug McClure, who were sort of young, heartthrobby type actors who, as their career went on, they just popped up in anything. Mm. They didn't really go away, but and they didn't really but they didn't really have any star power anymore, but they were famous enough that it seemed like they could always get work. Yeah. They could just show up on set to any and, show and there'd be a role for them. And, and also they were very good about sort of appearing in a lot of commercials. So they were on your TV a lot, even yeah. though they weren't necessarily respected as thespians. Yeah. They were just sort of professional, mm. famous people. Uh-huh. And Doug McClure <sighs> showed up in Manimal as FBI agent... And he showed up in The Master as the protagonist's <gasps> drunk father who's, who gets to be sad and get thrown through a window. Uh-huh. And both times, it's just like, you know, Doug McClure may not be a great actor. He's better than this. I, I, I love, though, that ethic of the 1970s character actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you watch enough Law & Order, you see that still going on today, because Law & Order is the hoop through which every working actor must eventually jump. Mm-hmm. To, to paraphrase uh, a statement about Hamlet. Um, yeah, you, you play a corpse, that's how you get your start. Doug McClure, he was around. He would do anything. And he would always present himself with a professionalism and a dignity. He'd sell. He wouldn't. Even, he probably wouldn't even know. Could tell you the title of what he was in. <laughs> it's like, okay, you play this guy's dad. Great, let's go. No, well, do you want to see the script? Uh, no, I, I memorized it in a minute over in the corner. Yeah. And I appreciate that. I pre- and it gives all of television this weird sort of connective material. <laughs> it turns all of TV into a tapestry where Doug McClure is sewing everything together. That's kind of nice. Yeah. Um, you got your Renea Bergenois. You got all these actors who are just sort of flowing through it all. Our, our next runner up mm-hmm. is one who, who their actual function in the show was to be a has been entertainer who was depressed about it. <laughs> Tell me about going back to Space Rangers. Space Rangers, oh Buddy God. Hackett. Oh, God. So uh, one of the shows in Space Rangers is Buddy Hackett plays a has-been comedian. He's not funny anymore. Nobody hires him anymore, but he's kind of well-beloved. Yeah, everyone likes him. They just don't laugh at his jokes. Yeah. 
Yeah. And at this in the episode, he's like on his way to some gig that is across the galaxy that has already yeah, been canceled. He, he crash lands on a planet yeah. of, of criminals and he's trapped. And no one even wants to save him because they already kind of figured he was dead. Mm. Just like, oh, didn't he die already? It like tu- it turns out our main Space Rangers characters, like the ca- the captain of the Space Rangers was a big fan. <laughs> so he comes up with an excuse to go to this planet just to rescue his favorite comedian. A big chunk of the episode is just Buddy Hackett wandering around a crashed spaceship, mm. acting real sad about the death of his career he even says the line talk about being cancelled and you're just sort of like when you host a show called Cancel Too Soon and Buddy Hackett is in a Cancel Too Soon show bemoaning the fact that he's cancelled too soon in, in that moment Buddy Hackett reaches out through the screen and takes your hand and holds it and you make eye contact and, and everything is right with Space it. Rangers like in Pleasantville like it's weird I was um, going to say Captain N but alright no I would go Pleasantville because it's, it's sad and melancholy I'll we'll learn a valuable lesson Oh, wait, Captain N wasn't supposed to be sad and melancholy? I don't think it was supposed to be. I think it just oh, okay. was. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Captain N. That show is stupid. Someone's really mad. Someone loved you know, Captain I, N. Watch I, that show again. I, wa- I watched up. every damn episode of Captain N, the Game Master. and uh, cause, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't <laughs> know what I was thinking, show. man. Remember the episode? Oh, <laughs> uh, wait. Did they go to... They went to Millie Vanilli concert in that one, didn't they? Oh, did they? Yeah, the princess was a big fan, wasn't she? Oh, I think that did happen. Oh. <sighs> We'll have to talk about that at some point. I don't think so. Somewhere, I think somewhere. We'll, we'll start a new podcast just so we can talk about that one episode of Captain Every N, the week Game we Master. Talk about the episode of Captain N, where Millie Vanilli <laughs> dissect it. It is the window to all. Uh, now, the the winner of the mm. first ever mm. inaugural Lee Van Cleef Award, of course, has to go to. Lee Van, Lee Van Cleef, the star of The Master, the title character, a show that was specifically designed. Mm. To sort of give Lee Van Cleef something to do. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Well, I think it was designed uh, to... It was designed to get a big star. It's like, we need to find some sort of aging star who can play a ninja master. Who do we get? Who's our big Who's our big star? And they probably ran down a list. Mm-hmm. And Lee Van Cleef, I think, was higher up on their list than they expected to get. Mm. Uh, he was a little too old to play the role. Uh, he, uh, as as listeners have actually helpfully written in, he was actually s- so old that he had trouble getting in and out of cars. He couldn't move around too well. Uh, yeah. And they wanted him to play a ninja master, like where he has to do <laughs> high kicks and backflips and stuff. Bastard. So yeah, Shokosugi actually ended up playing the yeah, master with Shou the mask. It's Shokosugi's show. Like he uh, plays the bad guy. He does all of the stunts, like in a mask, pretending to be Lee Van Cleef. And Lee Van Cleef is, the, and bless him, he's not really phoning it in. Like he's trying no, he, to play this role of like a serious master. And he's also like by about halfway through the master, every episode starts making fun of Lee Van Cleef. Uh, they, Every they, they episode make, starts poking fun at his career as a Western and, hero. And he is surprisingly game. He is completely laid back. He never once, not for a second, seems embarrassed to be there. Yeah. And that's to his credit. And that's why... But yeah. we all know that he's had a long career before this. Yeah. He wasn't going to do much after this. So uh, he kind of knows his spot where he is in his career and he's going to take it as seriously as he needs to. Yeah. He's clearly not desperately trying to pull meat out of this. He's just playing the role. And I think that's uh, that's to be admired. All right. Our next category mm-hmm. is best future star. When you watch when you watch a lot of failed TV, especially a lot of old failed TV, mm-hmm. 
you run into a lot actor of, actors on the rise. A lot, actors on the rise. Actors who would eventually become famous, who are doing this one bit part on their mm. resume to sort of expand their awareness. And like people, we didn't even make our list. Like Demi Moore didn't even make our list. <laughs> starring in the pilot episode of The Master. Th- this award is going partially to people because they started so humble and got so big. Mm. Partially because they were just really, really good in this early, early role. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons why you could be in the best future Star Wars, but but suffice it to say, it goes to the person who was eventually going to be big mm. and wasn't yet. And our first runner-up is Baby Ray Liotta. <laughs> in uh, Casablanca the series. Casablanca the series, Ray Liotta plays Sasha, the bartender. Who has nothing to do he's, in the whole show. He's he has in the credits. top and, billing, and they he doesn't get a subplot. Yeah. He doesn't get a love interest. He's obviously he does, the young, gives, sexy person. He just, he always looks like he wandered into the scene and no one gave him his lines. No. And he was just like, we He's have just, nothing for you. Just walk in there. Polish glasses. Yeah. That's all you got. Add, add, add a, just say something to David Soul and Scatman Carruthers mm. so that you can earn your SAG card, Ray <laughs> Liotta. Like, it's just so weird to watch him in every, mm. like, Persis Kambata gets so much more to do than Ray Liotta. And Ray Liotta was nobody at the mm. time. But it's surreal to watch it now. And he became the most a, recognizable actor in the show. And he became a big star, no and now he's not really that beloved There was a, It was a good moment to be Ray Liotta in the early 90s. Yeah. Was, really uh, good moment. In, in the tale of uh, Goodfellas, yeah, it was good to be Ray Liotta. Pretty much. Uh, our next pick is actually your pick okay. uh, from the TV wheel. Mm-hmm. Tell me a bit about... Well, the TV wheel. Uh, the TV wheel was Joel Hodgson's uh, failed pilot for a, a live comedy show. Uh, following Mystery Science Theater, he wanted to bring sort of a, a hotness back to comedy. He decided to come up with this live comedy show where the camera was still, it was all one take, and the set would revolve around the camera. Uh, high concept, kind of a weird idea. Took didn't, forever to explain. Took forever to explain, didn't quite work out, but... Uh, I always find it really interesting going back to old comedy shows, especially old sketch comedy shows, because working comedians love that. They get a lot of material. Everybody hopes that this show is going to be the next Saturday Night Live, so they're all putting their all into this stuff. Yeah. And a lot of them go on to do stuff afterwards. What I think is interesting is that there's a lot of really Mm. talented people who are involved in the TV wheel. Mm. Judd Apatow helped write it. Mm. Paul Feig, the director of Bridesmaids and Ghostbusters, he ended up Mm. in it as well. David Cross was in it. And 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 the one you picked... The one I picked is sort of sums up all of those actually kind of kind of it's kind of kind of representative of just this particular group of comedians because doug benson was my pick yeah Uh, and doug benson is just one of the comedians who's still out there he's directing films he's appearing on stuff like at midnight Uh, he has Uh, a bunch of hit podcasts that are way more successful than ours uh, and and uh, he does the movie interruption over at the cine family here in in hollywood tell him he was nominated for a suny award I will if I, if, I, if I run into him. Hey, we, we nominated you for our own Rinky Dink Little Award Show. What do you think? And you came uh, and you beat Ray Liotta. <laughs> but you know who you didn't beat, Doug Benson? Uh, you didn't beat Mahershala Ali from Al. Alcatraz. Alcatraz. This one was weird because we were reviewing Alcatraz in early March. Mm. We had watched the Academy Awards where Mahershala Ali, very deservedly so, won the mm. Best Supporting Actor Award for Moonlight, which mm. is my favorite movie last year. It's fantastic. It, He's fantastic in it. If you haven't seen Moonlight, what are you waiting for? Yeah. This was a great year to be Mahershala Ali mm. because not only was he in Moonlight, he had also starred in Luke Cage, a really, really good series. And he had a big breakout role and everyone's like, who is this guy? This guy's fantastic. Mm. He was in Hidden Figures. He's great. Mm. But before this, he was just kind of a character actor. He's a guy you might recognize, but he hadn't really, like, 
exploded. He hadn't really yeah. like had his big moment yet. His really sort of striking, soulful features. So he'd appear on screen. It's like, oh yeah, that guy's going. So he was always gonna... stealing every bit he was yeah. in. He was always really, really good. The the plot of Alcatraz was every episode was about a different inmate from Alcatraz showing up in the present day, mm-hmm. going about their old crimes. Mahershala Ali. In an episode I watched the day after the Oscars by sheer coincidence, it was really <laughs> surreal, he shows up as the first black inmate we've ever focused on in the show Alcatraz. They just sort of remembered all of a sudden, oh yeah, oh, there, there were, were, there there were, were not were... white people at Alcatraz. <laughs> and was, oh, Hollywood. his story was partially about that particular side of the Alcatraz experience that doesn't get uh, demonstrated enough, and he brought a lot to it, he was brought a lot of... Uh, Anger and pathos and redemption, but he also plays a guy who was literally turned into a criminal by the system mm. because they use this like clockwork orange machine on him to try to make him a criminal, even though he wasn't one, and it worked. And a lot of the episode is just him fighting mm. this horrible baggage this, this that man, the man, this gave him. candidate, yeah. hypnotism thing that, that's been installed it's in his kind brain. Kind of a dumb plot point. He brings so much humanity to it. Like this, mm. I would have actually been, if had he not been not, no, no, had he not gained notoriety this last year, mm. I still would have nominated so, him for this. He's great. Something you don't see in movies in general a lot, because we're, mm. we're you know, we go to see action movies and there's a lot of violence and a lot of cathartic violence. We have to murder the bad guy. We never, ever, ever, well, hardly ever, see, <laughs> see, uh, see guilt on display. Yeah, when not somebody, real guilt. When somebody murders someone else, they never feel bad about that. It's like, I, I had to murder the villain, and now my soul has, has withered a little bit. Have you ever watched Mr. Smith Goes to Washington? Which you should. It's one of the best movies ever made. Uh, that's not an exaggeration. No, it really is one of the best That ever. really yeah. is. It's so fantastic. And it presents this image of America as mm. capable of greatness, capable of change. The thing that makes it great isn't that James Stewart is this paragon of virtue. Mm. He is. But that's not what makes it great. What makes it great is Claude Rains. The very last scene. As the, <laughs> as the bad guy, the corrupt bad guy who is railroading Mr. Smith. Mm. Uh, to, to A friend sort of, of his, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was supposedly his friend, and he's framing him for all of these crimes that he himself did. The idea is that James Stewart demonstrated so much virtue that he made the villain collapse in a puddle <laughs> of guilt. That you can actually... That, that bad... Mm. People who've done bad things, mm. who are inherently corrupt and are making America terrible, are capable of acknowledging that so, they've done something. That's the fantasy well, of the, Mr. Smith. It's and, so great. Yeah, Guilt and, is great. I, I, and I wish we'd see it more. I mean, everybody says, oh, just kill the bad guy. Take him out. Re- remove him from the equation so and life lazy. will be better. It's so lazy. Yeah. Wouldn't it? And in fact, wouldn't it be more satisfying for an audience to see the person shamed, mm-hmm. not humiliated, but feel ashamed yeah, of what they did? to acknowledge that they have done something wrong and, and then grow. This is see, why My Little Pony is great. It's also why I'm kind of okay with The Fate of the Furious, yeah. when Jason Statham, horrible murderer, kind of comes around. Yeah. I'm much more interested in redemption and and guilt and shame and, and uh, penance mm-hmm. than I am in just murdering. Anyway, uh, our next we've, we've strayed. Our next runner-up is uh, someone who pops up. He was nobody at the time. And then you see him in Point Pleasant with like a couple of lines and a terrible haircut. And you think to yourself... Wow, is it a terrible haircut? like, wow, John Hamm had a really small role in Point Pleasant. And then he shows up in the next episode as a serial killer. <laughs> but it tries to play it off like it's a mystery. Like, oh, what... 
character who's going to turn out to be a serial killer. And you realize it's John Hamm. It's just the John Hamm character. You don't character. get John Hamm for two episodes and not make him the serial killer. Well, but you do because when Point Pleasant was being filmed, Mad Men wasn't on yet. John Hamm wasn't anybody yet. He's still handsome. He's, He's still distracting. You make a big deal out of introducing this character for one scene and give him give, nothing to do. They, give, they put him in a doctor's coat. They give him that bad haircut. Clearly, it's like, okay, he's handsome soap opera doctor. <laughs> Like, he, he wandered into Carrie Fisher's office from Soap Dish, and he took off his shirt, and he got the role. You know, that's <laughs> that's what happened with John Hamm on Point Fair Pleasant. Uh, so, when he tur- it turns out he was a serial killer, as kind of a subversion, I think. And John Hamm can play mania very well, it turns out. It's like, tell, tell me, tell me, tell me to kill this man. And uh, <laughs> it's just fantastic. He is fantastic. Let's talk about, uh, mm. uh, our, our, and then also in Point Pleasant, but also in Birds of Prey. Also in Birds of Prey. Aaron Paul shows up everywhere <laughs> before he was famous. And Aaron Paul, when he was in both Birds of Prey and Point Pleasant, he was kind of a younger guy. And oh, yeah. he had well, he's ver- always young, but like And he still looks young. He has youthful features. Yeah. But you know, when he was younger, he was clearly cast because he had these sort of handsome uh, handsome babyish face. Yeah. He seemed kind of approachable. In the pilot of Birds of Prey, he plays a guy who's greeting our young uh, teenage heroine who's coming into New Gotham City. Yeah. And says, Hey, why don't you call me? I'm a cool relatable dude and of course it turns out he's a, an abuser and a rapist yeah he's like this creepy guy who's gonna mug her and yeah. he plays the same role that Josh Holloway from Lost played in the pilot episode of Angel <laughs> like, it's the exact same role it's really weird uh, so but he went on to be in Mad Men and then you're watching Point Pleasant or, or uh, the, not Mad Men um, no so he went on uh, Breaking Bad Breaking sorry. Bad and then he, you're watching Point Pleasant he's in the pilot episode and he has like one line of dialogue and you're just like is this Aaron Paul's fate and then in episode five, he shows up, and all of a sudden, he's like a major supporting character. You're like, where have you been, Aaron Paul? Well, I, th- they introduced this boyfriend character for the, ma- the main character, and then they forgot about her for like several episodes. Like, yeah. oh, wait, it fell into the, uh-oh, we need something for her to do. Oh, wait, we had this boyfriend character. Bring, yeah. Where's, where's that actor? His name is Aaron Paul. What, what's he doing? He's, Probably nothing. He's, I don't know. Breaking Bad hasn't started yet. He's standing in line <laughs> at Pink's right now. Let's go get him. You know, it's, <clears throat> but the number one, the uh, number one best rising star... An actor who didn't, you know, who hasn't, like, won an Oscar or, like, headlined huge movies yet, but is a recognizable uh, uh, actor, mm. started real small, but real great. <laughs> Mia Kirshner in Dracula the series. Yeah. Mia Kirshner played the, the teenage daughter, at the time, the teenage daughter of, uh, or I guess it was teenage niece of it was like, it was, No, it was, a, it or was like ward her, yeah, or something. Was like her, was, yeah. her, his, like, he was tutoring her or something, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> She was his Summer. shack job, whatever was going on. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly what was going on with their relationship, but yeah, she's this spunky young teenage girl that the spunky young teenage boy had some romantic tension with, and... Uh, yeah, Boy, did she bring a lot to nothing. Th- there was nothing for her role to do. She was supposed to be young and plucky, and I always hate when young is used as a character descriptor, because when you get older, what are you? Yeah. <laughs> and, and what, what, what are you beyond young? And she infected and that role with she, so much more than I think anyone tr- else would have. She tried to bring a character into it, which is more than young actors do. It's much more yeah. than her two co-stars did. You, uh, look at, you look at the way like the older brother in mm. Dragon Lose series dealt with, I'm trying to be a musician, and he did it in the most like perfunctory sort of way. Mia Kirshner talks about music in that show. 
like when she's talking about being into music, she talks about it in a way that someone who's actually read magazines and like listened to a lot of great music. And when she performs her weird sort of new wave <laughs> spoken word jam, <laughs> she's giving it her all, yeah, man. Yeah. And then you finally get the episode where she gets to like go evil and become a vampire, and she just lets loose. And you can see mm. the, her character from Twenty Four, just like the seed of that, just grow within she- her. And uh, get it, bigger and better. It also reminded me of a time when I had a really huge burning crush on Mia Kirshner back in the 90s. Around, around Exotica. No, like uh, the e- Exotica, Mad City, if you even saw that movie. Oh, I forgot no, about that. Nobody saw that movie. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a Costa Gavras film, too. It's weird. Know, it's weird. Was uh, it a remake of a Costa Gavras film? I, I think he might have remade his own movie yeah. or something. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> it's a weird movie. But yeah, no Mia, one cares Mia, or remembers. Mia Kirshner's in that one. Nobody yeah. remembers it, but she's in it. Yeah. Uh, and she went on to be in the L Word. So she, she's been around now, and I think this proves that even as a young actress, she had a good deal of professionalism that a lot of young actors don't have. And right. it, she went on to be a good future star. All right. Now, for best guest star, we have to do an honorable mention here for a show that doesn't meet her qualifications, <laughs> but does have the best guest star mm. in history. Mm. Uh, it is, of course, Rex Hamilton in Police Squad, who shows up in the in the credits as Abraham Lincoln getting shot at and then turning around. And shooting John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. Great. Well, the, but the, the show got movies. The, it doesn't really qualify. The, the joke of the series was that in the opening credits, they'd see, you know, this special guest star. Florence uh, Henderson. For, for, and... Florence Henderson would get gunned down or would shoot someone off camera and then wouldn't appear in the episode. Like, that was her only... Like, O.J. Simpson is in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was William Shatner. Yeah. Uh, it was Robert Goulet who got shot shot, yeah. shot in a, a firing line. And, uh, yeah, Rex Hamilton would appear as... And also starring Rex Hamilton as Abraham Lincoln. Rex Hamilton didn't go on to anything. That was all he ever did. Yeah. Playing Abraham Lincoln, he'd shoot John Wilkes Booth, and he also would not appear in the episode. <laughs> he was a gag. So really I, I had to I had to mention him just because he's a great guy. You made some interesting choices for this one. I got to admit, mm. uh, your first pick was an actress named Beth Toussaint. Uh-huh. from uh, Nightmare Cafe and mm. uh, and also Man and Machine and also Man and Machine. Yeah, mm. why Beth? Tuss- I mean, she's a good actor. She, why Beth Toussaint? She's a good actress. Again, this is just because I had a big crush on Beth Toussaint back in in that era, like especially. She-, she played Ishara Yar in Star Trek, but uh, yeah, she was a, a lovely lady and. There are certain actors and actresses, they're so good-looking that that's the only type of role they can play. Uh, you look at someone like Megan Fox or Channing Tatum. You know, their attractiveness is a, has to be a plot point, because otherwise everyone would be asking, why is this supermodel hanging around with us? <laughs> and I, I think Beth Toussaint had that quality. She was so beautiful that she had to play the beautiful woman, but she was wise enough to play her both of those roles in both of these two TV shows as kind of uh, kind of wounded, a little bit complex. She had some depth. She never played just a bimbo. Yeah. And uh, I always admire, like, the really good-looking actor, like Colin Farrell, for instance, who can kind of pull character work out of what is essentially a kind of empty role. Now, your next choice for best guest star is interesting because of all our Mm. guest stars, Mm. he's the guest star who brought the most power (laughs) to his role. Uh, He played a character named Power in Beyond Westworld. Westworld. Uh, Rene Aubergenois, who... uh, I just love him. I just love yeah. love his presence. He's kind of a weird looking guy. He's he's lanky and he's got has interesting features. He's forceful when you don't expect him to be. Uh, he played a lot of cartoon voices, but uh, back in the day and today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
he knows how to sort of be chameleonic in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. he played a rock star. Well, he this literally one. played a chameleon in uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Indeed. He played a, he played a shapeshifter <laughs> on Deep Space Nine. How appropriate. Mm, starting yeah. to see some patterns here. <laughs> and he, uh, he, th- that he played a, a kind of hippie-ish rock star. I think he played the role very convincingly. I liked him a lot. So okay. yeah, I would nominate him. Uh, my, my first pick for a runner-up uh, is a, an actor who showed up a couple of times uh, throughout this first season. Uh, but I'm specifically talking about her performance in Perversions of Science, a great sci-fi horror anthology series that we reviewed. Uh, this is Yancey Butler. From Man and Machine. Who, in this one amazing episode of Perversions of Science, plays a woman who goes back in time mm. to seduce a man. And you don't know why. All we know is that she's obsessed with okay. him. And this guy disappeared suddenly. No one ever knows what happened to him. And then you find out... At the end of the episode, this is a great twist. By oh the way, oh my god, she was seducing herself because she was a narcissist, and no one else would ever do. She got a sex change operation so that her younger self would find her attractive, uh-huh. so that she could be in a sexual relationship with, with herself. herself. Yeah, I saw this episode when I was a kid, I by the I, way, and uh, I never seen Yancey Butler in anything at the time. And even at the time, I'm like, who is this? This woman's fantastic. <laughs> she's so great. She, mm. she's, she oozes femme fatale, but she doesn't just play that one note. She's got a lot going on in this performance. Yeah, she, I, I really like Yancey Butler, and she's around to this day. So, mm. But yeah, I think I brought this up on the episode. Does that count as like the worst form of incest possible, or is it just really, really sophisticated masturbating? I think it's really sophisticated masturbating. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what the, the yeah. show argues. I think it's fine. Yeah. Uh, my, my other runner-up, and this, oh man, this was this this was this was my number one until mm. right near the end of the year <laughs> because I loved it and he brought so much dignity to a show that didn't have a lot. Uh, it's Kim Coates in Dracula the series. <laughs> Dracula the series we talked about a bunch because it's a fun show, but it was a, kind of a goofy show. It was very kid friendly, very mm. silly. About f- nine episodes in, they did this one episode that all of a sudden had a lot of genuine drama to it. In which you find out that there was a silent horror movie actor played by the great Kim Coates. Mm. uh, This is probably the best episode of the show. Oh, easily. Easily the best episode of the show. um, Who had been turned into a vampire by Dracula. But it turns out that he's not an evil vampire. Mm. He doesn't... He doesn't like blood. He actually faints at the sight of it. But the real horror was he realized that as a vampire, oh, I can transform. I can I can live forever. I, my career can go on forever. But cameras can't pick me up. So his career <laughs> that's, was doomed. That's the part Serling didn't tell you about. <laughs> <laughs> He's so great at playing this sort of playful tragedy, this character. Like, he's aware of the irony of his yeah, plight. He's been yeah. in enough movies. And he really... and he plays it kind of big like a silent movie star would play it but he never becomes a cartoon he always has a lot of real humanity well, he is, to he, it. He, he's one of the only characters on that show that had any kind of real pathos and it's yeah. something to really connect to he's so great a- especially that. since yeah. a lot of that show is very silly. Of, really empty and silly yeah and, it's very uh, silly and that's fine there's a charm mm. to that but this is a real episode mm. With something real to it. And unfortunately, it devolves into just Dracula and this guy kind of fist fighting each other in capes. Whatever, it's not whatever. Great. It's, it's the fine. ending is. He, he has like a sad ending and it works. Yeah. But like, just Kim Coates just brought so much to his show that it had very little. <laughs> yeah, me and Kirsten was great. Actually, one other thing I want to talk about yeah. it that I'm going to praise later on in this. But yeah, he was so wonderful in it. I just had to give him a lot of credit. But, but the number one. Kind of a runaway, really. Yeah, this it's is so, so obvious. obvious. <laughs> oh my God. Not just because he's great, not just because he was in a really solid show for a while, 
but because this is just one of the great characters. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're talking about uh, Gaul, as played by Tim Curry in, in Earth, Earth Two. Two. Uh, it, one of the conceits of Earth Two is this un- uninhabited planet. Of course, is inhabited not only by two different species of aliens, but by criminals who had been launched there ahead of time. And Tim Curry plays one of the criminals who's been living on this planet off of the land for a while. And he's, he's a, gone a little loopy. He's gone a little loopy, and he's played by Tim Curry. So he's a loopy. <laughs> He There's, plays it. He plays it like he plays he it just, like Tim Curry. He plays it like yeah. Tim Curry, but it's like he stumbled in yeah. out of a great Victorian adventure novel, <laughs> and he's just playing everyone off of each other. He's manipulating everyone like Richard the Third, mm. but in a different production of Richard the Third than everyone else. A campier <laughs> Richard the Third. Oh gosh, and he's I, so I great. And you wish I wish I could have seen Tim Curry play Richard the Third. Oh my god! But like he's playing it. Realistically, mm. here's a guy who's been alone on this planet for a really long time. He's playing it real, well, but he's just a really big character. Here's the wonderful thing about Tim Curry: when he plays big, it still feels okay because he's such a big, weird dude. That was his style. Yeah. So he can play this really broad, bonkers character amongst all of these other kind of normal acting human beings and still feel like he fits in. That was his big talent. Yeah. And he did. He has some really strange moments. <laughs> uh, I, I posted on our uh, on the Cancel Too Soon Facebook page one scene where one of the characters discovers sort of his nest where he's been hoarding all of this stuff. And uh, the, the guy's looking around. He's like, oh, no, this Tim Curry character is not who he says he is. And Tim Curry appears in the cave and says... Just call me a magpie. <laughs> and then I'm guessing he improvised it, made a bird noise. <laughs> Arms big. Yeah. He's so fucking funny. And you can tell that he improvised that because the, his co actor in the scene kind of staggers back a little bit. <laughs> and you can tell him he wants to like look over at the director. Should I, should I keep going? Is that. <laughs> Something happened. So great. Like, what is happening? And it's wonderful. Yes, just that show dies the minute he leaves. They kill him oh, off in like episode six, and boy, was that a mistake. It's really a pity. You it's keep really a pity him. a lot of, He's lot of important. that. So low. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, best supporting actor. Now, this is for a role for a person who isn't the protagonist of the show. But they had a regular role. But they were regularly, yeah. they were in it all. This is not a guest star. They were in most episodes of the show. Mm. Um, your pick was, one of your picks was really interesting to me. Because, mm. Not because it's bad, but because I just really didn't see anything that great in it. Mm. Tell me why you picked Robert oh. Englund from Nightmare Cafe. Oh, uh, well, for the, for the same reason I picked Tim Curry. He's kind of in his own little world, I think. Uh, Nightmare Cafe, which we actually haven't talked about yet. Uh, was an anthology-ish series about a teleporting cafe with uh, two people who had recently died working there, and they'd been sort of roped in by these cosmic forces into being a waitress, and uh, or being a, a chef and a waitress, and Blackie, played by Robert Englund, was this demonic presence, or maybe he was angelic. They uh, never really explain They never explain it. who he is, but he's working for the cosmic powers. He's working yeah. for the deities. He's been on Earth and since the time of the dinosaurs in one form or another. Yeah, he talks about eating pterodactyl. So he's been around for a while. He's this mysterious character. Robert Englund clearly having the... T- like, he's having a ball yeah. with this role. And I think he likes playing up that mystery. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you pointed this out. There's a scene where they open a door in Nightmare Cafe, and they're essentially faced with heaven. Heaven's on the other side of the door. It's a big yeah. white light. And in that one scene, if you look closely at Blackie, he's shying away. He's, he's averting his eyes. He's not looking at heaven. Now, is he doing that out of respect, or is he doing that because dad kicked him out? <laughs> yeah. No, I honestly so, I think yeah. he's somewhat... I don't know if he's malevolent, mm. but I don't think he's a positive force. I think yeah. he's like the snake in and the Garden he, of Eden. He, 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 what he is, and this is a, a, the kind of character that 
screenwriters try to write all the time and miserably fail at all the time. He plays a trickster. Yeah. Screenwriters love the trickster because he's there's so you know they're connected to old storytelling tropes and old mythologies and there's but you the know, trickster has to have a purpose. They can't just trick people. Well, they, they have to be there for a reason. Or th- what they are, they're agents of chaos. They kind of have to l- slip through the cracks a little bit. And but I even think even that's a reason. Yeah, that's I think a function. yeah. And they're, I think doing something I for think a reason. They Blackie, have a purpose. I think Robert Englund understood that Blackie was meant to be that sort of character. Mm. I look at Blackie and I look at a character like uh, Loki from the Marvel movies and I realize just how horribly written Loki is. <laughs> <laughs> he is not an agent of chaos. Oh, he's not to up to anything. He has no real motivation. He's just he, so he badly does. written. He's, he's, he's the I think, scorned son. I think uh, you're under... I think you're under being unkind. I, I think Tom Hiddleston is the only reason we're looking at this character because he's such a charismatic performer, but I think... I when think you look, the only reason when we're you looking look at, at the words, Blackie this way as well. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe so. Robert England is great. I, I think Tom Hiddleston... Brings a lot of charisma, but he doesn't really bring a lot of function to Loki. I think Blackie has that function, and I really like Robert uh, England as a result. But my next pick is someone who just mm-hmm. flies off the screen in a show that we both kind of liked, but neither of us really <laughs> loved. But just, again, dignity, dignity, dignity. Yeah. And whereas Linda Hunt brought this class and this pedigree mm. uh, to Space Rangers. That you just couldn't deny. Mm. Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa. <laughs> he doesn't necessarily, he didn't have that Oscar to bring with him. He was just a great character actor. Yeah. Who just came in and played this character, Xylan. Kind of, who is he, kind he, of. He's kind of the wharf of the show in a lot of ways. He's wharf. He, he's, a, he's a Vulcan and a Klingon at the same time. Because on <laughs> one hand, he's very dignified and worldly. On the other hand, he's very warlike, but he's trying to fight it. It's actually kind of hard he's, to pin down his character. He's but, Worf trying to be Spock. That's who he yeah, is. Yeah, by way of Seven of Nine. <laughs> They're all in there. Oh, and, man, you ruined it. <laughs> and you know who didn't ruin it is Kari Hiroki Tagawa. Mm-hmm. There's this character who is so very poorly defined. Mm-hmm. But Kari Hiroki Tagawa, A, he's a handsome man. Mm-hmm. B, he's got class... He's, out the yin yang, well, he's, he's just everywhere. He's tall. He's strong. He's very present. He's got yeah. a great, great presence. He's he just he's never phoning in this performance. Even when you can tell, maybe even he doesn't know what he's supposed to be, like what his character is all about. He's just so charismatic, hmm. and you see this in every one of his performances, even in not great movies. Like Mortal Kombat is not a good movie. Hmm. He's the one giving a good performance in that movie. He's <laughs> such a great villain in that movie. Oh. He's. Awesome and like mm. everything I've ever seen him in, and yeah, here's yeah, probably like a Tim role. Burton's Planet of the Apes yeah. and the Phantom and stuff. Yeah, Showdown in Little Tokyo. He's mm. always great in everything he's in, and this is finally a show where he got to play different stuff. Mm. In different, even if it means that the character was unfocused, he got to play different beats: tragedy, comedy, action. Also, an element of the sinister and the gross. Uh, yeah, also, yeah, there's a, a bit of mystery. Like, why does he sleep in a slime hole? We never really... Never that's really that's never explained. It. Never talk about it. He's so Although fucking Although Clint, Clint Howard got in the slime hole. Guys, you gotta try this. Credits. Uh, you, you mean your actual bed, Clint Howard? <laughs> I, I kid Clint Howard. My, my next pick for Best Supporting Actor yeah. is a bit of a cheat, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it in anyway because mm. I think it's a character we both loved. Mm. It's a character we both knew before the show but loved mm. because of the show. It's Uncle Deadly in the Muppets. 
<laughs> oh, I didn't even consider Uncle Deadly. The Muppets is a show. We, I'm surprised we haven't talked about it because it's actually a pretty good show. Uh, it was the sort of sitcom uh, reboot of the Muppets where they're putting on their variety show, but the show was all about the behind-the-scenes shenanigans. It, and it, but and it's presented like The Office, and it started out really kind of cynical. And it found weird. its way by the end. Oftentimes their shows start great and lose their way. The Muppets found its way too late for anyone to notice, yeah, and that's yeah. why it got canceled. Uncle Deadly was originally the Phantom of the Muppet Theater. He was sort of this villain character. Mm. In the and, Muppet- and he looks like a, this monster shrimp thing. He's yeah, very, he looks kind of evil. Looks, looks yeah. like a little bit like a blue dragon. Mm. He's, got, like, he's a cool looking guy. He plays Miss Piggy's personal assistant. And he plays this character like Stephen Fry plays like in, in Jeeves like, yeah. yeah like Jeeves and Worcester like it, that, that's how he plays it just he knows that she's terrible but he also loves her he couldn't do what he does if he didn't love her but he is so above it all and like he was just like, like he, he hates what he does and he's always making these sort of cynical cracks about everything that's going on but he yeah. con- continues to do it and, he, and we find out eventually he does it because he does consider Miss Piggy a friend and there's this whole episode where Miss Piggy realizes she doesn't have any friends and he's he's pissed off he's like change your spanks you think i do that because i don't like you i love love the spanks episode where we see we hear miss piggy straining behind a dressing ground like dressing uh yeah a shield what is it uh screen screen yeah i couldn't think of the word screen yeah she's behind a dressing screen she's like grunting and straining and we hear a snap and like her spanks fly over the top (laughs) and uncle deadly leans down and says let me clean those up for you and he's holding them like gingerly between thumb and forefinger and addressing the spanks says today you've worked very hard (laughs) gosh it's funny even when the muppets isn't a great show which is the first eh, half of the season honestly there's highlights but it's Mm. not great Uncle Deadly is always great. <laughs> yeah. So kudos to you, yeah, Uncle, Uncle Deadly. Deadly. I know an actor plays you, you're Uncle Deadly. Mm. That's how great that actor is. Now, our other big runner-up was another one who... Mm. Yeah, this was kind of... Our top two were top two. Okay. Like, really just right yeah. up there. Uh, there's another great actor in a bad show. <laughs> but doing what he can... Yeah, to uh, lend a tone to the show that the sh- the showrunners clearly weren't really interested in. Yeah, the showrunners weren't interested in a tone at all, really. Yeah. But then Billy Zane pops out <laughs> feeding a squirrel uh, in guilt. This very generic crime mystery soap opera thing from it's, Freeform. It's yeah, it's a crime procedural slash soap, and it's all about everybody's. Uh, secrets and what they're mm. and everybody behaves in a really stupid fashion, which makes them look all the more suspicious. Yeah. Billy Zane plays, I think he's he's the the he's Clarence moral Darrow. moral free defense attorney yeah. who is called in to defend somebody who cl- looks very very guilty. He's a superstar defense attorney. Mm. He'll, he'll but he's, he's sh- very honest, but he's also very he's blunt. sneaky. He's blunt. Yeah, he's, he's sneaky. Yeah. He's he's shamed because of something he did in his private life, uh-huh. and uh, he. Uh, brings all of this sort of asshole bravado to the role that the show frankly needed. Yeah. So many of the characters were either brooding or mysterious in a way they could so give away. Yeah. And here comes a character who is actually kind of fun to watch. And Billy Zane knew this, knew to crack it out, and lo and behold became the only watchable thing in, so, in a lot of ways. Billy Zane's had such a weird career because everyone remembers him like post-Titanic when he had mm. trouble kind of finding good stuff to capitalize on his mm. sudden acclaim he had, his sudden fame. Even though everyone thought his character was the worst, he was in this hit movie. Mm. 
Before that, he was really charismatic in every single thing he did. The Phantom is not his fault. Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight is great because of <laughs> Billy Zane. It's also a pretty good movie, but seriously, Billy Zane makes that movie. He's fantastic well, he, in that movie. He and William Sadler, to be fair. But fair yeah. enough, but I think William Sadler, had he not had Billy Zane to play off of, wouldn't oh. have had much. I think Billy Zane playing off of a lesser actor than William Sadler hmm. still would have been great. Per- perhaps so. Billy Zane was such a charismatic force of nature, and then he just somehow couldn't get the right roles, lost his way a bit, and then guilt comes along, and he just it just seems like he had more personality than anyone else involved. Yeah, yeah. And he just had to give it to him. But... <clears throat> Our number one mm. is actually a tie because she was in two different shows in supporting roles, and she was great in both of them, mm. but particularly Point Pleasant. It's uh, Dina Meyer, who's I, in Point I, Pleasant and Birds of Prey. I, I want to point out more, actually, her work in Point Pleasant, uh, yeah. because Point Pleasant, as we said, it was a soap, uh, 9021 Omen, and she played sort of the... Uh, the hot divorcee character who a lot of the the other uh, female characters were suspicious of because she was going to steal their husbands. That's what she did. She used That's, to yeah. be like this big debutante, mm-hmm. prom queen. She never left town, but she never got rid of that sort of superstar sex pot attitude. And uh, as the show goes on, you know, she starts out as this very sort of broad sex pot character. Mm-hmm. She's, she's the Joan Collins and... Uh, She's really sexy, and she starts out being really conniving because that's what the show is about. It's about you know the Antichrist is influencing you to be kind of evil, and she's trying to seduce this married man, and she gets a bruise and starts blackmailing him. But as things go on, she becomes actually one of the more kind of moral characters who sees all of the evil that's going on and tries to fight it as best she can, but she's now as Cassandra complex. Nobody trusts her because she's been so evil in the past. It's a really interesting character. It's, it's she's, kind of complex. And I she like was that. so yeah. close to being corrupt to begin with, that she was able to recognize the signs mm. when they were happening to other people yeah. and pull herself back, whereas everyone else was un- was unaware that they were actually going to the dark mm. side. Mm. And that's a really cool thing, and that's the sort of thing you'd kind of see in like a really good Stephen King novel, you know, like Needful yeah, Things yeah. Or, or something like that, I, uh, like, it, or The Stand. Like, like, it's really great. Like I said, it's I'm, an unexpected I'm, turn, but it makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm usually more in- interested in redemption than revenge, and... Yeah. Uh, Nobody gets revenge in real life. Come on. That's no, really rare. <laughs> if, you, if they do, you hear about it on, like, you know, the Mari Povich show. It's a tragedy. It's yeah, a thing yeah. that society is ashamed of. So, and then Birds of Prey, she, she's mostly in this for Point Pleasant because she's great in Point Pleasant. Hmm. She steals her scenes. I've, I've always, she's awesome. I've always liked Dina Meyer. I felt she's never yeah. really had her. Like, she's had a lot of breaks. She's been mm-hmm. in a lot of notable films. She was in you know, yeah. Starship Troopers and, and then they Dragon never, Heart. And, and they never know. broke out, but it was never her fault. She yeah. always brought her A game. And she brought her A game to Birds of Prey, too. She played back. Girl, this is actually a pretty tough role. Mm-hmm. The the show itself, unfortunately, was just written in a very surfacey kind of early WB well, kind of way. It was also and, coming off the tales of the Schumacher Batman's, which yeah, uh, it was a Tim, bad look. Well, Tim, Tim Burton started this trend that lasted for a while of taking superhero stuff and changing the world to so the a superhero would fit in it mm-hmm. rather than trying to kind of ground the superhero in the real yeah which they couldn't do at the time probably because of special effects yeah. photography whatever it is they they just weren't doing it and yeah we're going to get we're going to that later on cuz i think this year we're <clears throat> finally going to get to the original version of the flash 
There it's you coming. go. We got and, to. And, it's so uh, great. Yeah. And so this was coming off of that. This was kind of a stylized universe, a lot of CGI cityscapes, a lot of yeah. ge- gel lighting and weird <laughs> interiors. And uh, yeah, so she was put into this universe mm-hmm. uh, as as this stylized she, version of Batgirl. And she's got to do a lot of goofy stuff, but she always keeps it grounded in a way that I was always really impressed by. Yeah. So that's more of a supporting argument for why she needs it for Point Pleasant, mm. because she gets a, she got the two different roles. It's sort of like, yeah, okay, you won the Oscar for this, but you're also great in this movie this year so bonus uh, okay yeah uh now best lead actor again our choices were all over the place <laughs> i'm very fascinated as to why you picked our first runner-up uh, james wainwright in beyond westworld james wainwright played the villain in beyond westworld yes. and he he just he says outright in the first episode that he wants to rule the world but he wants to be invisible those who are like have the face are you know their ego gets in the way he's not doing this for ego he wants to do it because he fe- he's randian he feels he's the best man for the job the world is just being completely cocked up. He has access to androids. Go. When you said Randy, and I assumed you meant Randy Man from Hot Springs Hotel. Yes, he's very, <laughs> he's very Randy Man. Uh, Don't look he, now. He, he read Ayn Randy Man. <laughs> I'd read an Ayn Randy Man book. But it sounds really, At, Atlas shrugged that off his sound bra. more like you like the character than the performance. What was it about well, the performance that was so great? Because uh, he didn't overplay it. He wasn't uh, a sort of. Your mustache twirling villain. He was never rubbing his hands together saying, I am being evil. He was resolute in his need to do what he wanted to do. Mm. And, uh, you know, they always say the best villains are heroes in their own minds. And I got that from him. Fair enough. Uh, Wainwright played a character that you could relate to. And might even cheer for because he was charism- he's more charismatic than the hero. That is very, very true, and mm. I'll give you that. Um, my first runners up for best lead actor is someone who I, we've talked about before. I love her. Okay. <laughs> when she's got a good role, she's fantastic, but she doesn't always. Uh, Yancey Butler in Man and Machine <laughs> has such a weird performance to try to play. She's got to play a, a woman who knows everything, is very, very skilled, mm. but not only is she a robot, but she has the emotional maturity of like a five-year-old. Yeah. That's actually really tough to play. She has to be childlike and badass all the time in mm. every single scene and she brings it she's got this expert physicality to herself where she feels very present but she's also a little otherworldly she's got this wide-eyed wonder at everything but also a certain cynicism because she is working as a cop mm. she's balancing a lot of stuff she's got to be <laughs> the brunt of a lot of jokes mm. and tell a lot of jokes she's got to be the heart of the thing but she's also got to be the cold intellect not every episode of Man and Machine is great, but you know who's great in every episode of Man and Machine? Yancey fucking Butler. Like, I really became such a huge fan of her. I was a fan of her from the Lake Placid movies to start with. Uh-huh. And then... Yeah, we watched all the Lake Placid sequels. She's what the of it? best part of those movies. She really is. And she's the best part of Man and Machine. She was my one of my favorite parts of Perversions of Science. Mm-hmm. I became such a huge fan of her over like the last year. She's really, really great in this, and I think I wish Man and Machine would like get like a release on Hulu or something. People could see it more easily. It's really cool. It's a fun show. It's goofy in that early '90s way, but it's really, really fun. Um, the next pick I had, uh, someone who I think I liked more than you did. He's one of my favorite Draculas. Oh, this guy. Jordy Johnson. Sure. Oh, Jordy Johnson. Jordy Johnson brought a lot of fun to Dracula, uh, the series. He, he, a show I think we're all surprised is doing as well as it is in I, the Soonies. I think he found a way to have fun as the show went on. That, but he, I think that's part of it. I think but, you find the role. But he's, he still had no idea what he was doing. I think he did. I think his version of Dracula is a guy who exudes utter confidence. He's presenting himself to the world very publicly. Mm. He's cocky. 
that's what he is. Like, there's a part where someone says, and I will become the greatest vampire in the world. And Jordy Johnson just bets face, that role is already taken. He's such a smarmy shithead. He has such a stupid accent. I know, it's so great. He's playing the cheese. Where exactly are you from? He's playing his sort of this, this very updated mm. version of the Bella Lugosi broad theatrical mm. version of this with just enough contemporary dignity that you buy that people don't immediately assume he's a vampire. <laughs> he's so fucking funny throughout this entire thing. And what's really cool is how he establishes over time, more so than the other actors, this weird kind of symbiotic relationship with the heroes. Mm. Where you buy that he doesn't always want to kill them, even though he finds them really, really annoying. They create this odd dynamic of hero and villain where they feel like they kind of need each other. And he's so good at that that it doesn't feel false. It doesn't feel like he needs to kill them all the time. I, it I is think, weird that he hasn't, but you buy it because uh, he's just amused by uh, their presence. I, I, I didn't quite buy it was the problem. That's clearly the writers thinking, oh, shoot, we're out of ideas. How come he hasn't murdered them yet? He's Dracula. Yeah. This was a bad idea. We, we, we made a mistake. We made a mistake. Here's another. Okay, so our next runner-up is, yeah. is, is one of yours. And it's another one where I like... Uh-huh. I'm surprised it made it so high on your list. Mm. Why Ashley Scott from Birds of Prey? Uh, Ashley, because I want to hang out with Ashley Scott. <laughs> a- a- Ashley Scott uh, played uh, Huntress in Birds of Prey. She was the main character. She was uh, kind of a bratty 20-something. Mm-hmm. She, was, she was the uh, daughter uh, of Batman and Catwoman, <clears throat> and she had kind of the qualities of both. Mm. But uh, she was really annoyed by it. She was really kind of cynical. She speaks cynicism very well. Mm-hmm. She's very sarcastic. And, uh, yeah, she's just sort of bemused and annoyed and complete in a way uh, mm. uh, that a lot of characters who play th- this type of character isn't. Mm. And, yeah, she's just so, having so much fun and playing such a dynamic character that, yeah, it's like, and I also want the ta- cameras to turn off. I want to go to a bar. I want to have a beer with Ashley Scott and have her, <laughs> have her tell some stories. Sounds so fun. So it's pure charisma more than anything else. More than anything else. Well, that's fair enough. Mm. All right. Mm. Um, your next pick is one that I was, that's totally on my list as well because oh. he's fucking amazing. Ray Winstone and of Gods and Prophets. Of Kings uh, and Prophets. Of, king, of, kings, of kings and Prophets. Damn, that fucking Ridley Scott movie I keep confusing it with. <laughs> oh, gosh. Written by the same guy, so it's weird. Yeah, gee, that, that's a terrible movie, by the way. Ray Winstone hmm. is so Ray Winstone. Well, he's Ray, Win- he's Ray Winstone. He, he's a very talented British act- character actor who is great in everything. Mm-hmm. And he's, uh, it's kind of weird that this is, you know, the ancient Middle East and we have this, like, very, very, very British man uh, playing in there. But, you know, he he has enough uh, experience. Enough experience? Uh, he he uh, he feels like he's been there, like he's mm. been a king who's been also been a warlord. And I, I really admire just when he steps on screen, you get the character immediately. Yeah. He's, that, that's what Ray Winstone. I does. buy Ray Winstone as a biblical king. <laughs> I buy him like even though he's kind of like he's, he's not, not he, muscly or huge. Like they show Goliath in this, and he's this big, muscly, awesome, hairy guy, and like yeah. Ray Winstone just comes in and he just, like Linda Hunt, he commends the room. Mm. Ray Winstone is the Linda Hunt of, of Kings and Prophets, where he just sort of like, yeah, do my job. I don't know what he said, but we're going to fucking do it. Because <laughs> he sounds like he ate gravel this morning and smoked a carton of cigarettes. I just burst open home and you kill Goliath. But, uh, yes, so, sir. Uh, okay, <laughs> I hope I do the right thing. 
Yeah, he's another guy. He's obviously the big get of the show, like Anthony Hopkins in Westworld or something. No. And I, we all know what happens to him. So he wasn't going to be around the entire series if it lasted seven <laughs> seasons. But by God, he brought mm. a lot to it. Because mm. uh, everyone else on that show is really bland, mm. unfortunately, which is the real tragedy of it, I think. It really could have struck, I think, if yeah, there had been more personality. Had a better cast. I, I think, yeah. of course, if they were, yeah. if they were on cable. Uh, now, this is another web, uh, category which we, we didn't really disagree. We just voted for a bunch of different people. So mm. I ultimately pushed... For them to have my number one pick, VR number one. Uh, because you, this guy you, you typed role. out the list, so go I for typed it. out the list. You got a lot of number ones that I didn't vote for. Right. So this is the one I fought for for me. <laughs> because this guy had a role that had already been made famous and iconic by someone else. Mm. And he made it his own. And he made it his own, knowing no one would ever see him do it. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Louis Gossett Jr. in Black Bart, the sitcom based on Blazing Saddles that was produced and never intended to be shown. So, yeah, this entire series was uh, meant to... The studio wanted to keep the rights to Blazing Saddles, the movie. Mm -hmm. In order to do so, they were required to do something with the property. They had to make a sequel. They had to make a TV show. And uh, Mel Brooks felt if you put that in there... Yeah, you have to do it by a certain time. You have to do it by a certain time. And so they made the studio made a Black Bart TV series, but because of a loophole in the contract, they never said it had to air anywhere. So they, they spent the money. They hired the cast. They got all the writers. They filmed... Episode yeah. after episode of this thing. Yeah, like a whole season of it. They only ever released one of them. It's on the Blazing Saddles Blu-ray. Mm. And it stars Louis Gossett Jr. As, as Bart. As, yeah. as Bart, the black sheriff uh, in Blazing Saddles. And again, this is this is a character who was created by Cleavon Little. Very famously so. Wonderful performance. One of the classic mm. comedy performances in movie history. And Louis Gossett Jr., is also great at it, but it's a different take. It's a he's different, not doing an impersonation. He's not doing an impersonation. <clears throat> Cleveland Little had this sort of uh, bemused detachment to the role. He felt like he Bugs played, Bunny. He played, yeah, he had this very kind of modern sensibility. Whereas mm. Louis Gossett Jr., uh, I feel it this way in all of his roles, brings a, a kind of anger to it, a kind of passion, mm-hmm. uh, which is really great for a show that's a, a about, cut, racism. about racism. Yeah. So, yeah, this... This black actor is kind of railing against the racism on display in the show, uh, on display in the show, yeah. rather than kind of uh, riffing on it. Because in the show, he has to be the sheriff all the time. Mm. It's not just his first go around. He doesn't have to convince anyone. He's just the sheriff. He's got to be a guy who everyone in the town doesn't like because he's black. But he's also got to assert his authority constantly. Mm. And, and he does this with a very <clears throat> masculine performance. Mm. Like he is sexy in this performance. He's 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 got more muscle than Cleavon Little does. I think he's, he looks taller. I don't know if he was, but he mm. looks like he's towering over everybody. I, I, think, I think he's just big. Just because Cleavon Little was a skinny guy. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But like he he just he just really dominates the entire show. He's really funny in a show that isn't particularly funny. <laughs> he's got the character down pat. It's a different interpretation of a classic comedy character mm. that also works and he did all that effort knowing no one would ever see it. I have to give this to Louis Gossett Jr. I had to push just, for this one. Just because he did it for professional, yeah, because complete, he did it purely because, professional reasons. Because he did it because it was the right thing to do. Mm. Bless him. <laughs> Louis Gossett Jr., you rock. Uh-huh. What's our next category? Our next category is weirdest series. Oh, well, this is easy. Well, 
It is, and it isn't, because I'm actually a little surprised by your first runner-up pick. Uh-huh. Not because it wasn't weird, just because I'm surprised you thought it was that weird. Hmm. Why is Manimal your first runner-up for the weirdest series? Manimal, well, I mean, Manimal is notorious for its weird premise. It's about a, a rich, uh, would-be cop who runs around solving crimes with his team, and also he can turn into animals. See, I read enough comic books that it just doesn't seem that weird to me. Yeah, but this this is not a, a kid-friendly show. This is pri- this is primetime cop drama. Mm. They're trying to get an adult audience with this. But this was like only a year away or two, like maybe two years away from Knight Rider territory. Well, Knight you Rider know? was when it started to tip. Man- ah. Manimal was still like tailing, you know, kind of the serious cop dramas of the 70s. I see. And yeah, they were trying to... I can see them. Trying, Context try, matters, yeah. Yeah, I think they were trying to do something a little bit more serious, but it's kind of hard to take seriously when they keep repeatedly showing that that weird, bulby panther face. He looks so fucking weird every <laughs> like time when he transforms into the panther. There's this weird, again, the bird about the is show. even the most transformed. There's this yeah. weird shot they use every time he transforms into a hawk where it's just half human, half hawk face, mm. and it's right out of your nightmares. Like, it feels like something like David Lynch would splice into one of his movies. <laughs> it's so weird. I did not fucking get it. it, it it's, it's just a weird-ass show whose, mm. whose premise was far too high concept for the time. Uh, if it had come out even like two or three years later... Probably would have been okay. Then it probably would have been a little bit more acceptable because TV was getting like really stupid in the yeah. 80s. So, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, my next pick is another one that is way too high concept for its own good. Mm. And once you actually start watching it, it's fine. It's just a, 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 a sketch comedy show. Mm. But it takes like 40 minutes to explain the premise. It's Joel, <laughs> so Hodgson's the TV wheel. Yeah, which and we, which talk, we, we explained. We already explained this one, but just again, real, real fast. It's a sketch comedy show, totally live, but it's got this weird artifice where the camera always stays still and the stage constantly rotates around it, and that's it. And it creates a sort of immediacy to it you kind of have to admire. But it's so artificial for no other purpose than to be a film school experiment mm. that you just wonder, like, I wouldn't, like, no, that sounds like a, it, it, that's way too much effort to go into yeah. for a sketch show. It's such a weird premise. Like, I don't think it functions. It's so, it just couldn't get over it. <laughs> the next one is not a weird show per se, but we already talked about why it was such a weird oddity in TV history. Mm. It is Black Bar. Oh, Black, yeah, because it, it was made and never aired. It was made with the intention of never, never airing, airing it. Yeah. That is Fucking weird. And evidently, this happens like from time to time. Yeah. They'll, they'll make something that never is meant to be like the Fantastic Four feature film. Yeah, the, the Roger Corman. The, the Roger Corman yeah. version. Yeah. They needed to use those characters, otherwise they'd lose the rights. So they made this film. There's no deal that they have to release it, and it's never yeah. been released. Yeah. There's some dispute about that, about whether or not it was intended to be released, or they just never got around to it, or they figured, yeah. fuck it, we don't have to release it because it's not very good. We did what we had to do to keep the what rights. A, whatever the reason, yeah. they never released it. So. Well, we talked about this in the B-Movies podcast recently with the Willy Wonka, Tom and Jerry movie, where maybe that's why they did that, so they could keep, keep milking. Keep the Willy Wonka. Yeah, they have yeah. it. I don't know. It's Hollywood is stupid sometimes. Uh, now, the first big runner-up was our first episode. Uh-huh. Puchinski again, one of the one of the dumbest premises of all. Uh, yeah, uh, Peter Boyle plays a cop who gets hit by a car, and his, his soul is immediately transmigrated into that of an English bulldog, and uh, so quickly, in fact, that he's able to pick up his job as a cop again. <laughs> it makes it sound like Duckman when you put it that way. He's mm. also got a partner played by the great George Newbern, mm. who kept popping up this year as well, uh, and his partner is kind of pretend that his that. 
Peter Boyle isn't a dog, and he's got to like run around his apartment while uh, Amy Yazbek from uh, uh, Wings starts like, oh, I, me and my daughter came over to bake you a pie because we're very attracted to you and we're going to be love interests. Mm. I have to chase the dog around. Because oh, he's Peter Boyle and he's misbehaving. And, oh, and, no. In, in certain shots, it was a live dog. In certain shots, it was this really awkward cross-eyed puppet. Horrifying did, puppet. It didn't really look that great. What's really bizarre about it, though, is that there's this one point where the show forgets it's a stupid-ass show about a guy who turns into a dog, mm. and it gets really intense. Like where he looks at himself in the mirror and looks at his paws and has this, this yeah. weird moment of introspection. Yeah. They, they, I am a dog now. What happened? George Newbern is chasing Puchinski around with a gun. And then Puchinski is just there staring in the mirror. Look at me. I'm a dog. <laughs> what happened? You haven't earned this, Puchinski. You haven't earned this. Puchinski sucks so hard. It does. It's so weird that so that's weird. not the weirdest show we reviewed. The weirdest show we reviewed is, of course, The 100 Lives of Black Savage. Which I, th- I think is a kind of a given. We don't yeah. really need to go into too much more detail. Conceptually, it's bizarre. In practice, it's bizarre. Mm. It's so every, every amused single... by this racist, sexist, mm. anti people person. <laughs> like this, this, the word, just, this, the word is misanthrope. I just no, I just meant anti decency. <laughs> like he's just such a shit, and the show just thinks he's great. The show thinks this is really funny. The show doesn't and think he's punch him in the face constantly. The show doesn't think he's great. The show thinks he's uh, an object of mockery, and I think sh- it, it works. The show thinks it's think it charming does, to watch yeah. him and not insulting. And we didn't even get to some of the weirder shit, yeah. like the fucking ray guns built into the car, <laughs> like or like the occasional bits where like Donald yeah. Trump has to jump around trying to catch invisible ghosts in like a big metal shoebox or Michael Chiklis dressing up as a black pirate to scare people off land like a Scooby-Doo villain. This show is fucking weird and why isn't it on DVD? There's there's like three episodes where it like starts looking like it's going to be the Scarlet Pimpernel like he's going to dress up in a pirate outfit and leap around and stop bad guys. Jack of all trades but they just abandon that real fast don't they? Yeah they they don't do that in in very many episodes. Yeah there's this whole bit where they save Roma Downey Jr.'s life by blowing up toxic waste in the middle of the ocean. Hooray! Yay! Fuck off! Toxic waste was so great. (laughs) I love toxic waste. Oh my god. Alright now we're getting down we're getting down to the wire here. Let's talk about the worst shows we had to endure what, what, because not every show was canceled too soon <laughs> some of them should have been canceled way earlier uh, my number one uh, uh, my, my first runner up here is a show that I was so excited to watch I had heard so many great stories about how weird and terrible it is mm. and maybe to be really really fun why was Manimal boring my, man, yeah, Manimal how do you make that boring this is why it has the reputation it does. Uh, it's it's not bad in a way that's even really that fun to watch because it's so slow moving yeah. and the plots are kind of difficult to follow. Well, they're just these cookie cutter yeah, crime yeah. plots that they just throw a guy, that, with one exception mm. where he has to like jump out of a plane or two exceptions, he has to jump mm. out of a plane and turn into a hawk. <clears throat> Him turning into an animal is never important. It, it's, it's never really vital. Like it's always uses, just this thing. He uses thing. it to sneak into a room and like spy on a conversation. Which you know, if you do that occasionally, sure. But but like, yeah, it, this is why not, are you not turning into a horse and carrying the other heroes off, or yeah, turning was, into a tiger to attack somebody? I like the scene where he turned into a bull and kicked off over a lot of kung fu guys. That was kind of fun. But like for the most part, like mm. any other adventure show could have done all these plots. As a matter of fact, 
A lot of other adventure shows did one of these plots because the Wild Child episode of Manimal showed up in multiple other shows yeah. that we'll be covering eventually, like The Wizard and, uh, um, oh, what was it? Uh, Thunder, Thunder in Paradise. That's right. The, yeah. the, the, the writers who wrote the original Manimal episode wrote the same script for two different shows. God. And speaking of just lazy adventure show writing, oh, the master. <laughs> Oh, the master! The just master, the master was, was dull, but it wasn't painful. I, I can see, me. I can see, like just sort of getting drunk on a really crappy beer and kind of watching this on a <laughs> Sunday afternoon. But um, yeah, the, the master is kind of kind of misguided, I think, in the casting. We were talking about how good Lee Van Cleef in it was, was in it. But yeah, he was trying. He wasn't quite right for the role. I meant yeah. uh, my my wife and I came up with John Saxon yeah. as being the master, and that would have been a so like a much much better choice. Maybe I don't know. I think it's all pretty mm. awful. Uh, this one was uh, their next two were just pilots, <laughs> but they were fucking terrible pilots. And here's another one. Again, I lean towards boring. Okay, boring is no. There's no excuse for boring. Okay. Doctor Strange was boring as hell. Doctor St- and th- there's a reason why it wasn't picked up, wasn't there? Uh, Doctor Strange, based on the Marvel Comics character, uh, done better in feature film form, even mm-hmm. though it wasn't that, that great a feature film, it's but at least it was, it was completely watchable. Yeah, uh, the 1970s pilot-slash-TV movie of Doctor Strange mm-hmm. is interminable. It, it's, o- it's only an hour and a half long, but it feels like it's three or four hours. It just, mm-hmm. nothing is happening... Nothing is. You're dealing with this character that has like cosmic magical powers, mm-hmm. and there's an evil god in another dimension, and there's demons on Earth who are trying to trick him, and it's mostly just shots of traffic. A lot of traffic, <laughs> a lot of a lot of walking down the street, a lot of like doing his day job as a psychologist, mm. and it just it doesn't play into the main plot yeah, at all. It's just I, sort of talking. There's to people. a couple of bits where it gets kind of trippy, and it's momentarily interesting, and then it goes right back to shitty and boring mm. again. And then after a while, because one character gets amnesia, they start repeating the same boring scenes all over again. <laughs> it's annoying. <laughs> the show laps itself. Uh, and our biggest runner-up mm. before their obvious number one pick, I think, mm. uh, Puchinski again. Puchinski again. Puchinski sucks. Puchinski was the perfect ep- first episode for us, I oh. think, because <laughs> fuck Puchinski. <laughs> Seriously, Puchinski is terrible. It's not funny. It's not intriguing. It's nothing about it is bonkers good. Bonkers and ugly. Yeah, it's really, really terrible. But our, uh, of course, mm. our pick for the worst series we have ever done, the most painful experience <laughs> we've ever had, <laughs> the most, the show that deserved the most mockery we could mm. lob at it is, of course. Themselves. Telegram said, ain't been as dead. Come from the hotel. Hot Springs Hotel. Hot Springs Hotel. <laughs> Hot Springs uh, Hotel. Hot Springs <laughs> Hotel. Yeah, it was it was a softcore porn. They clearly had access to a hotel that was closing down. Mm-hmm. They could shoot wherever they wanted to. They had bad actors, bad, bad actors. nudity, yeah. bad plot ideas, humor that wasn't funny. Where are my binoculars? Oh, they're looking at breasts. What a surprise. <laughs> but Hot Springs Hotel is the perfect example of a show that exists that was never intended to be binged. You were supposed to... F- <laughs> you were supposed to find it by accident. You were supposed to find yeah. it by accident, masturbate quickly, and then leave. And yeah. then we sort of marvel at the bad music, and then leave. And then if you ever saw it again, you might have a fond memory of that one time you masturbated. And that's why it's one of our most popular episodes. So many people... Da- more people download 
at Hot Springs Hotel from us, oh, then geez. watched it. Wow. <laughs> like, it's weird. I was like, it was the most obscure show we'd yeah, ever done, and so many people listened to that episode. Say, Why? You, you, you masturbate quickly and leave. <laughs> <laughs> you described Just it like, as a breast delivery system, that, that's and that's all, kind of it. And even as a breast delivery system, it sucks, because... It, it doesn't present breasts in an interesting way. After a while, it's like, okay, there's more implants. Yeah. There's more implants. Is that the same woman? Who's and, he? And What's, again, because... I don't... Of, okay. Because of the rules of television at the time, the yeah. sex couldn't be sexy. There could be no thrusting or groping. So it was just everyone of, just sort of lightly kind of, brushing kind of up against paw, the breasts. Pawing at one like another. Like they were dusting them. Uh, like, it's just sort of... So there was a lot of breast dusting going on in Hot Springs Hotel. What is, uh, what's, okay. what's the audience award? The audience award. Again, this is for the best episode of our show. Now, this isn't just, this isn't just self-aggrandizing. We just want to know what you liked. <laughs> and we, almost every episode of the show had at least one vote, which is really encouraging, I think. What, what didn't get a vote? Oh, I'm trying to think. Casablanca, I don't think, got a vote. Okay. Um, I think the Incredible Crash Dummies didn't get no a vote. No one voted for the Incredible Crash Dumpies. Uh, Dumpies. Dumpies? <laughs> It's another name for this uh, this awards show, I think. Welcome to the Dumpies. <laughs> That's not bad, actually. The Crash uh, Test... Well, I like the Crash Test Dumpies. God, <laughs> gosh darn it. So. Um, yeah, there is a, there's, there's a lot of sadness. Yeah. A lot of sadness here. Uh, but uh, our biggest ones. Mm. These were like kind of the runaways. Uh, first off was Dragon Half, which was an mm. anime series. Very, very funny. Uh, first anime series we'd ever done was one of our guest episodes. My wife, Michelle, uh, mm. did a guest appearance on that episode. Uh, and people, A, people seemed to like Michelle, which is really nice. Mm. Uh, people liked that we had a guest. People like guests. So that's <laughs> what we're going to do more in uh. the second year canceled too soon is we're going to have guests more often. We have a few lined up even for next month mm. uh, to give you more outside voices, outside opinions, different passions for different shows. Uh, but we're also going to do more uh, uh, animated shows and we're going to try to track down more anime. But TV works a little differently in Japan and it, we have to be careful. We right, pick shows right. that fit the rules and didn't just end when they wanted to end. Right, right, right. Um, our next uh, audience award was Dracula the Series. A lot, there was a lot to cover on that one, and I, I think we've covered it all. I, so. think it was, I think it was a fun yeah. show. I think it was an entertaining show, and I think it's a show that a lot of people vaguely remembered, and I think we liked the kind of nostalgia. Mm. Birds of Prey well, was one a of, big one. Which was one of our more requested episodes. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad you're interested in the one you actually requested. <laughs> Which, Some of the ones that people requested a lot of like, uh, did not get a lot of votes. So we got a lot of votes for Profit, and uh, we talked yeah. about Profit, I guess because we weren't passionate about Profit. I think that's the case. Like, everyone's like, when are you going to do Vinyl? We did Vinyl, and we didn't like it. So I don't think a lot of people like the episode of Vinyl. <laughs> Um, the 100 Lives of Blackjack Savage of course. was the number two, um, and it was between, number two and number one were neck and neck, and every time we got a new vote, one of them took the lead again. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So it was really, really... It was a photo finish be, between I think, the 100 I, Lives of Blackjack Savage and... and Randy and Cat living in a flat, all by themselves, Telegram said, ain't bitty dead, come run the hotel... Hot Springs, Springs Hotel. Hotel. Because you like it when we suffer. That's uh, what we learned. So we have to find the worst possible shows that you've never heard of. Yeah. So we can uh, cover those and, and bring new suffering to you. So what we learned, and again, we're gonna still going to do a cross-section of as much as possible. For yeah. the next year, we're going to focus on more shows that make us suffer. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to do and a few it, more of the really popular requests, like Birds of Prey, you mm -hmm. know, that sort of thing. Uh, we're going to have some more guests, and we're going to do some more uh, animation. But also, uh, make no mistake, we're also going to throw in ones for ourselves every yeah. once in a while. Just just stuff that we think is weird or mm -hmm. is exciting or that we always I, wanted to watch. I, I remembered an animated show I watched 
watched in junior high school that I really want to cover yeah. at, at some point in the we near gotta try future. to track it down I don't think it's ever been released on DVD uh, no it has not <laughs> sometimes sometimes it's hard yeah uh, so uh, and again we're going to announce the winner of the drawing mm-hmm. uh, for the audience award and the winner of that drawing gets to tell us what episode mm-hmm. we have to do it just has to last one season or, or less are, and be able to be fine are it. you just drawing out the final category now a little bit okay. uh, just <laughs> remember facebook.com slash cancel too soon mm-hmm. Wednesday May 3rd at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we will be on Facebook Live mm. uh, and doing that drawing, maybe doing a little Q&A if anyone's around. I won't be wearing a shirt. <laughs> no, no I'll, will not. I'll be wearing a shirt. All right, and uh, our I'll, last I'll, category... I'll unbutton the top button. Our last category uh, for shows that were definitely canceled too soon. Yes. The shows that we really liked <laughs> uh, the I, most. I actually enjoyed watching. And there were quite a few. There's a lot of shows that we said were canceled too soon, but these mm. are the ones that in the end of the day, we really, really we're done. We're actually... Can- Actually canceled Tuesday. Uh, and the first runner up is a show I'm amazed we didn't mention before. Mm. Like I really wanted to put up in a lot of different categories and yeah. it's never fit in my top like uh-huh. votes. Was Baffled. Oh, yeah. Baffled. I loved Baffled. Baffled was like kind of an awkward pilot episode just because the mystery was kind of clunky. But this really awesome show about uh, uh, oh, Mr. Spock. There's Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. It's hot. <laughs> Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> That's your excuse. It is my excuse. Leonard Nimoy as a psychic race car driver who teams uh. up with a wonderfully charismatic rare book expert to solve mysteries because he's psychic now. Uh, and they had so such charm together. They were so great. The theme mm. music was really, really funny. Their dynamic was really, really funny. They took place in a world where he wasn't the only psychic element, which is one of the problems I had with Manimal. You've got he, Manimal. He's the only Manimal. He's the yeah. only supernatural thing going on. Throw in some other stuff, for God's sakes. You've got a Manimal. They, they How ev- is he the only magic in the world? They eventually did that. He met the Nightman. 20 years later! <laughs> like, come on! Like, so Baffled was building up, like, this sort of little mini mythology for itself and just one fun pilot episode and I never got to expand beyond that and that's a tragedy because that was a cool pilot episode I really yeah, dug it it was, it was fine yeah okay uh, next I, up I, I don't have too much fondness for Baffled for oh I, anyway. I, I did and if you watch, remember the episode if you listen to the episode you liked it too yeah. uh, another one that uh, we talked about it, how this was a show that started off okay and only got better um. The Muppets the Muppets, like, we discussed this on the show, it changed showrunners halfway through. And mm-hmm. when they changed showrunners, they found a new groove where the Muppet show was actually friendly and Muppety again. Before mm-hmm. that, it was really bitter. And I think yeah. a lot of people saw the just the original pilot and saw kind of how bitter and cynical and sad it was. It's like, this is this but, is not what the Muppets were built for, This guys. is not why yeah. we go to... We don't go to the Muppets to see Kermit and Miss Piggy angry at each other. We don't go to the Muppets to see them not running a variety show. So when they changed showrunners, they started changing the Miss Piggy talk show into more of a variety show, and that became the plot. That was mm-hmm. a good plot. They started uh, uh, putting Kermit and Miss Piggy in a position to fall in love all over again, mm-hmm. and that's more of what we wanted to see. They took the misdirection mm-hmm. of the first... And again, those episodes are okay, they just weren't oh, very okay, good. Yeah. But they took that misdirection and they made that the starting point for something that was, by the end, those last episodes are really good. Yeah, they, There's a good Christmas episode in there. That's a really good show. They found a really great show by the end, but of course, unfortunately... The by damage the, was done. Even by the time they had made the change, nobody was watching. Yeah, so. it was real, real tragic. Here's yeah. one that you picked that you loved and I didn't like. Uh, but it's in the top because you loved it so goddamn much. I love this show. Sam and Max Freelance Police. Sam and Max Freelance Police is so much fun. He's <sighs> talking about tricksters and agents of chaos. Uh, it's one of my favorite archetypes. I love agents of chaos, like the Marge- Martians and Mars attacks or gremlins. Just these 
these creatures that exist to make sure that the rules don't mean squat. And uh, Sam and Max Freelance Police are these the two protagonists. Reality doesn't quite apply to them. And I love that. I love that they're just these sort of bemused by the things around them. They kind of dimly perceive the universe as containing things like Bigfoots. And mm-hmm. they take care of these problems and things that they have kind of filtered through their experience watching television. I love Sam and Max as mm-hmm. characters. I like the comics when I, I read a bit of the comics. I mm-hmm. like the video games because the video games are these sort of point and click things where there's a certain calmness to them and then mm-hmm. there's something wacky. Yeah. that I think that tone works for them. As I was watching the show, what I discovered was Sam and Max works great in little bursts. <laughs> like, I think if you did like a whole bunch of like five minute shorts mm-hmm. with Sam and Max, it'd be fantastic. But when they carry like an entire episode the chaos just gets exhausting and then it gets boring to me. Oh, it wow. was so one note. There I, were a couple I, of highlights, but man, it's it like, really rubbed me the wrong way. It's like listen, listening to an entire Miles Davis record. <laughs> like a, a late era Miles Davis record when he was going really off the rails. I think that's a it's, bit of hyperbole in favor of Sam and Max. No, not at all. I think because you start out, it's like, wow, this is this is making me sweat. It's really kind of, And by the time you kind of get into the, this chaotic rhythm of it, you realize that there's something kind of brilliantly artistic going on. I no. really, I really love. I did not Max realize Freelance there was Boys. something brilliantly artistic. Oh, I think going it's on. great. I think it's great. Right. Our next big runner-up, and for un- until like they got to the last like set of episodes of this mm. show, this was going to be my number one. Holy crap! How mm. was this ever canceled? The show is so great. Uh-huh. But man, did it fly off the rails in the last little bit. Mm. Earth two. Is it just because they were aired out of order? I no, it's not because because by like the, the second half of the of the season, mm. they started getting into weird teleporting love spiders was, and and episodes like multiple episodes yeah, where people it was, got possessed. It was, they started running out of ideas fast. It was really one of those things where they they felt that the more interesting elements of the show was kind of their idiosyncratic mythology rather than the premise they had originally set out with. And that and premise when, was enough. And it's when they got back to the premise, the show actually became really great. Yeah, mm. it's, it's kind of like Twin Peaks. Flew off the rails for a bit and. And then the blast, and then it ended great. Mm. But like, man, there's that chunk right there in the middle that almost lost me altogether. Like, <laughs> I remember, I was really on the ropes about whether or not mm. that was canceled too soon or not. Yeah, the the, t- the time travel episode was just oh, oh forget terrible. It. Forget the time travel like, episode. Like, but man, did it start out so strong, and it, it was so good for so yeah. long, and then it just sputtered near the end. Yeah. And I think that kept it from being our number one. But our number one pick, and I'm actually surprised that we both kind of picked it. Mm. I'm actually a little surprised this is the number one. Uh-huh. I don't think a lot of people will be surprised that this <laughs> is our number one. Our pick for the best show that we reviewed this whole last year mm. is Perversions of Science. Uh, it, it's You know what? And we haven't talked about it a lot because it's an anthology show, and it's kind yeah. of hard to s- summate that as sort of an entire experience. But I, I was able to uh, fit it into guest star, but that was it. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, they're like in all anthology series. Some were really, really great, and some weren't so great. Uh, just a couple the ratio was ones in pretty there. good on this one. Though. It was a good hit to miss ratio. There were a lot of really great, notable guest stars. Mm-hmm. I, I was tempted to nominate Jeffrey Combs yeah. uh, in the guest guest spot category. Um, it was trying to go for this pulpy, very daring, very striking, very original anthology premise uh, in the mold of Tales from the Crypt, which yeah. it was a follow up to. Yeah, and uh, it 
in its better moments felt like some of the better moments of Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, there's there are the episodes of Perversions of Science that are great mm. are really great. The Yancey Butler episode we already described is mm. great. The episode about uh, two Martians who hear Orson Welles doing the War of the Worlds on the radio and think that the invasion has started without them and kill everybody mm. they know and start driving to the landing site thinking it's real. <laughs> my God, that was a brilliant that was a episode. Really funny episode. The Hitler episode is really, the really Hi- great. The Hitler episode's my favorite. Of course, I- by calling it the Hitler episode, <laughs> give away the twist but yeah. uh, George Newbern popped up again in a really really fun episode the, like reality hopping episode yeah like he, his wife died and yeah. he wanted to go to a reality where she was alive but he kept popping into different realities that are more and more horrific and it ended up a lot like that one Simpsons Trios of Horror episode where Homer kept changing the timeline and there's this manic energy to a lot of them that are super great like mm. it's just really fun and the bad episodes there's a couple that stink. There's one about like a proto serial killer who might have been put there by aliens or something. It just that, that, that one's, yeah, that one doesn't make a lot of sense. sense. There's this weird thing with robo grannies, which looks really neat, but the story is kind of meh. But robo grannies want to take over the world. It's it's just fine. You know, not, an anti-consumerist episode. I have no, no problem. It, with it's that just one. kind of awkwardly yeah. portrayed. But it, you know, it's no more or less awkward than some of the weird episodes of Tales from the Crypt. You know, yeah. and one it's like dark and spooky, and we have to find this vampire and stab him in the heart. The next one, here's a vampire works in a blood bank it's like yeah all right fair enough like let's mix it up but your tales from the crypt you have me with the exception of that just fucking awful Mm. serial killer teen thing Mm. which just doesn't even make any sense they're all needed a few more drafts even the bad episodes of perversions of science were bad because they were trying something Mm. like there's this one william shatner directed about a guy who like kevin pollack kevin pollack is there as a guy who can't kevin Kevin pollack whom we have bested (laughs) kevin pollack is like fucking this robo prostitute and whatever and like his wife well he falls he falls falls in love with a robo prostitute finally gives in because he can't sleep with his wife just yet yeah and so yeah has sex with this robot but but then then everyone keeps showing up to visit and it clamps around his genitals and he can't get rid of the torso now that's attached (laughs) to his crotch yeah it's pretty fun it's really funny there's the one where a bunch of aliens are trying to manipulate human beings Mm. so that they can get the human beings to impregnate them but they accidentally trick themselves into impersonating each other yeah. yeah it's really like there's a lot of clever weird fun stuff in Perversions of Science and it's not just and I feel like it's not a cheat to say Perversions of Science is the best show because even though the other ones were trying to be more serialized mm. Perversions of Science has a very distinctive feel to it yeah, even when yeah, the shows sure. take on different tones there's always this impish delight in well, that's, screwing with reality that, and that's that's the best thing it sort of ported over from Tales from the Crypt there yeah. was a naughtiness to it and yeah. you know uh, that generation of filmmakers, I think, was really, really good about that naughtiness. Not just Joe Dante, as I mm. mentioned, but Zemeckis was one of the big guys on this one. Uh, we had Walter Hill in that mix. These filmmakers who knew how to kind of satirize and wink while they were still making the mm. thing they were making. And I think Tales from the Crypt and Perversions of Science really represent the apex of that attitude. Now, Perversions of Science is uh, not available on DVD right now, mm. uh, which is it, a tragedy. We saw it on YouTube. Yeah, it was on YouTube. Mm. Uh, I'm it's not sure always, if it's even still on YouTube. It, it yeah. always pisses me off that like HBO HBO Go, which is like, yes, we have all the HBO <laughs> shows. No, you don't. Where's Dream On? Where's Perversions of Science? <laughs> Where the fuck? Where's like the Gary Shandling show? Mm. Not the Larry Sanders show. The Gary Shandling show. Where is it? <laughs> They do not. Mm. So, if you know anyone who has the rights to perversions of science, poke them. Because this is really good stuff. And it deserves a release by, like, Shout Factory or something. Mm. Like, it's really, really fun. I'll, and, I'll buy those DVDs for sure. But we had a lot of fun 
this yeah. whole season. And you know what? Um, we've been through a lot together. I feel like we've been D- in the foxholes this whole D- time. Despite Hot Springs Hotel, we've had a great time. I think. I think. I know. I think Hot Springs Hotel contributed to it because I think we went through something together. I think we did. I think this is a sort of thing. Like who else? What other two friends have decided to challenge each other to watch all of Hot Springs Hotel? I'll see your Hot Springs Hotel and I'll raise you Puchinski. No! It's horrible. It's the worst. Um, this show was mostly your idea. This was started off as this, an idea you had this, as a, a series of articles. Uh, it was going... Well, no, it was going to be a podcast uh, that I... Oh, okay. Ba- way back in 2014, I was writing for Nerdist for a couple mm. months there, and uh, I was very prolific, and they said, keep pitching us, like, podcast ideas. I pitched them about 30 podcast ideas, all of which were shot down callously, yeah. but this is one I actually really liked. Mm. I even set up a Twitter account, which we no longer have access to. Because <laughs> you forgot to I forgot, the, the forgot the damn password. That's <laughs> so on me. At Cancel Too Soon is us. But we have no control over it because Twitter can't prove that that's us. Yeah, I've, I've, and we've tried to go back to Twitter. No, I just can we get the yeah. new password? Okay, well, what what email did you use? Well, this one, but it doesn't exist anymore. I, I set up the email through Facebook, and Facebook canceled that email. So technically, it has no email. It's <laughs> like, well, you can like it's like the children in Solo. They just don't have parents anymore. They're just dead. It's They're a gone. catch twenty two. We're uh, not allowed that one, so we're at cancel cast. So we're at cancel cast. Uh, but we but are. Yeah, at I, I, I I pitched it to Nerdist. They said no, don't do that. And uh, we just kept shooting the shit about it for forever. So we have yeah. You, know, you eventually we, had the wherewithal to get it actually off the ground, and now yeah. we're doing it, and it's been a great year. It's been so. a lot of fun. I feel like we discovered a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that other people don't know about. I get to share every time I describe the one hundred lies of Blackjack Savage to somebody, their mm-hmm. eyes light up. <laughs> That's not real. <laughs> you fucking better believe it. And I'm looking forward to discovering more we got, crazy, we're wonderful gonna, we're shit. We're going to find that. We're going to unearth yeah. every single one of those. We're I'm surprised Heil Honey, I'm Home didn't topple over our last we Twitter poll. We had a Twitter poll and the show about a funny Hitler and his mm. weird Jewish neighbors, one of the most offensive things ever put on television, mm. didn't win the poll. So next month we will be doing L.A. Confidential, the pilot episode, which is available on the L.A. Confidential Blu-ray if you ever want to watch it for yourself. Mm. Um, Also, next month, for our very next episode, it's not season two, season one just goes on forever, like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. (laughs) Uh, For the next episode of Cancel Too Soon, Generation 2, we are going to have Alonzo Duralde back. He was our guest on The Muppets. Yes, we're finally getting him back to review all 30 episodes. Oh, God. Of my mother, the car. One of uh, again, like Manimal, one of the most notorious TV series of all time. I learned about this from Mad Magazine because Mad Magazine couldn't help but mention it at every available opportunity. Now that I've seen about half the series, I can see why. It's one of the stupidest oh things my God, I've is ever it so seen. Stupid. Like it's, it's also weirdly nightmarish. It's like, like it's really Freudian. Uh, it has this weird small wonder quality, like but. T- like 25 years before Small Just Wonder was a thing. perverse and wrong, mm. but also kind of innocuous, which makes it more perverse and wrong. And oh, it, it is like... A- it is the definition of innocuous. We'll yeah. get to it later. Next if you want to hear pain, happens, <laughs> come on back. Come back for My Mother the Car. Now, uh, my Mother the Car, again, will be the first episode of Generation 2. We have a few changes coming. Uh, nothing catastrophic, but again, our Patreon will get started. Uh, and we'll be offering a whole bunch of new cool content uh, mm-hmm. for you to contribute and receive in return. Um, 
And uh, we have a few other minor changes they'll be changing to the the show. Mm. Got a new logo we're working on, which will be a lot of, which is we're, I'm really really happy. We're, with. We're, it looks really cool. We're turning kind of legit. It turns out. So, yeah. but we're not we're not going to stop suffering for you. No, no, no. All <laughs> everything you're getting now, you're you're still going to get, and it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be funny. It's going to be painful. It's going to be exciting. Mm. Uh, I I hope you're really going to stick around. I hope you're going to dig it. Um, and uh, we'll hopefully be back next week with my mother the car if. Everything pans out, and we get all this new material we're trying to put together in time. It'll be next week. Worst case scenario, we might have to take one week off just to get all of our ducks in a row mm. and come out swinging with also, the best cancel too soon ever. Also, it's thirty damn episodes. I still got to catch up on that. <laughs> it's a little you, slack. You, you and Alonso like started this months ago, so you've had a chance to catch I up. I gave been, you the discs over a month ago, and I've been watching the other shows we've had to watch for this show instead. So excuse me while I've been a little more up to date. But uh, again, we have that coming up. We have some cool theme episodes coming up. We found a lot of crazy, weird stuff we didn't know existed. We still have all of your wonderful donations. Many of them are from more famous shows. Mm. So we'll get to things like we already talked about The Flash. We'll probably do American Gothic and American Gothic. Uh, we finally want to do Almost Human, which is yeah, really yeah. excited to do. I want to actually watch one of We've talked to some... Uh, TV producers about coming in to explain what happened to their shows, like Wonderfalls. Uh, <laughs> well, we we have on the line one of the world's biggest Rockford fans <laughs> to do Richie Brockleman <laughs> Private Eye. Richie Brockleman Private Eye. We're going to get to that one pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, so we have a lot of really really fun stuff coming for you in the next year. Thank you so much. Again, you can always email us. And actually, let's just announce this right now because mm. here's the first big change: mm. Cancel Too Soon has its own email now. It does. Yeah, isn't that great? Well, uh, we, for a been, while we weren't sure if the show was going to last, so we were using our B Movies Podcast email, which was B Movies Podcast at Gmail. But now, uh, canceled too soon at Gmail dot com is where you can write into this show. Yeah. you no longer have to specify which show you're writing to; <laughs> just write to that email address, yeah. and you can ask us your questions. Mm. You can send us uh, uh, your suggestions. You can tell us if you saw some of the shows that we reviewed, and you want to share your own thoughts about them. Um, anything at all, we'll answer your questions. We'll we'll talk to you about other TV. TV-related whatnot. Um, once the Patreon gets up, you can ask questions about that, make more suggestions. Uh, we have a lot of really, really cool stuff coming through, and we really want you to be all to be a part of it. So mm-hmm. again, thank you very much. We're at CancelCast. You can email us, canceltoosoon at gmail.com. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Wherever you find us, please leave us a review. That mm-hmm. helps so much. We have an Amazon wish list if you want to contribute to the show mm-hmm. that way, full of one-season wonders and failed pilots. And again, Wednesday, May 3rd at noon, facebook.com slash soon. We'll be doing a Facebook Live announcement of the winner of our latest Cancel Too Soon sweepstakes. And we'll be rubbing each other with marshmallow fluff. Schedule permitting, my cat Sergio might make an appearance. <laughs> uh, so stick around. Schedule permitting. That. He's a very busy cat. He's a very busy cat. Uh, so that's a wrap, everybody. Mm. We'll see you next season. <laughs>